target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really <laughs> exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and produced by Nicholas Live. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? Hello, world. Hello, Nick. Welcome to Gravity Lab Radio. Hi. With your host... I can't introduce myself in that voice. Can you tell? Can you can you say it? Yo, guys, welcome to Gravity Grab Grab Gravity Gravity Lab Radio tonight. Uh, something a little weird on the couch. I'm on it. Is it weird over there? Uh-huh. It's actually pretty cool. I like it. So tonight, uh, those of you who are just listening, Mr. P. Nick Lott is actually hosting the show, and uh, I'll let you tell us about our guest. And I'm gonna go take a nap. Oh, Bye. We, we, that's it for you. Oh, I'm Man, done. that was easy. Mr. Jesse Texleos, welcome to the show, my friend. What's going on? Welcome back to hey. the show. Can I compliment you on that hat? Yeah. It's a really good looking hat. Thank you. What what does it say? It's keep hammering. It's that Cam Haynes uh like line of hats and stuff like that. Do you know who, I Cam, saw you know who Cameron, Cameron Haynes, Haynes is? Yeah. 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 I saw Stephen Boyd Jr. wearing it. And uh I liked it a lot. He just had different colors, so I mm. uh I totally went and just ripped his style. That's a good looking yeah. That's a good looking hat you got on there, Mr. Nick. This is a good looking hat. Uh this was gifted to me by one DJ Marvin. Care of uh, Velocity Sports Equipment. Yeah. So uh, real quick business that we got to talk about. We actually just picked up our newest advertiser for uh, Gravity Lab Radio. Hell yeah. Velocity Sports Equipment, maker of Infinity Rigs, is actually now sponsoring the show. And uh, Nick is also joining the Velocity Sports Equipment family. So I've heard it's the most comfortable rig on the market. Ah, but do you believe that? I'm willing to give it a shot. You've actually jumped them for a little bit Yeah, Critter's rig is uh, is the the one that fits me the best, Uh which is odd because he's a lot taller than me. He's a kind of a big fella. But uh, luckily, it's short on him. It fits me great. Well, while we're talking about sponsors, Subway, eat for it. Oh, Dude. God. Bring back Jared. Dude, Jared. He's done his time. Yeah. <laughs> he, we, all <laughs> oh, no. we all lived healthier because of Jared. So, I mean, the, it balances out, right? Enough good for the bad. I don't think so. No? But, uh, yeah, man, I'm pretty uh, pretty excited about that. Uh, I didn't. Did I show you the the design of the rig? Yes, you did. It's sexy. Yeah, man. It uh, it looks really good. White is a hard color for me for rigs, um, because I typically have a newbie showing me a white rig, but I've I've seen like uh, what? Get your rig in? No, no. Uh, I, I just designed, designed it, it, and uh, yeah. I still got to do measurements and, and that stuff. But, nice. uh, Steve Downey got the white rig, the white harness. He's got the white harness, which I'm also doing. Yeah. But uh, I think it's going to look sexy. It looks good. Watching Steve have the white harness and watching uh, an experienced jumper who doesn't eat shit half the time he lands with white, it looks completely good. So what's mine going to look like? Shit. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think uh, the only thing that really worries me is there's some white trim tape on the bottom. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm just going to request that they do that piece black. And then I think I'm going to be all right. Because the white's up top. Why is it black? What? What? Well, you got a problem with black? No, I'm asking Nick. (laughs) (laughs) Just because that's an easier uh, color to hide with grass stains. Mm. Lazy boys. And I think it's mostly on a gray part of the rig. No, I don't know. What colors is it? It's uh, white. That's what I was trying to figure out. I was like, why wouldn't white go with white? Yeah, well, the the white trim tape looks nice, okay. but with like doing freestyle stuff and falling down a lot, that's a part of the my container that gets mm. kind of covered in uh, in gotcha. grass stains. Gotcha. So that white won't stay very white. Man, I uh, 
my favorite, you say you heard some most comfortable rig for me. First of all, I'm not a rig snob, man. You've, you've jumped vectors, and I think they make one of the fucking dopest rigs on the market. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sunpath makes Javelin, and they're a great rig. But for me, I've owned a shitload of rigs, and I've now owned seven Infinities over my life. And, and the comfort factor for me is one thing uh, Vector does that I love, Infinity also does, is that contour joke. Mm-hmm. They shape the yoke to the size of your body, to the shape of your body, so it fits your chest more comfortably. It's not pulling back on your shoulders. And Which those, happens to be the ideal shape for me. Yeah. The curve of your body. I'm, <laughs> huh? I'm, I missed it. I'm missing it. Uh, the leg straps. Did you know, you haven't, did Kyle's leg straps, were they curved? Gosh, I didn't notice. So then they probably didn't. So the newer infinities, the inside uh, part of the leg strap, you know, you have binding tape on your leg strap. Mm. It's an inside out seam. So it's nice and snug up there, not pinching you with some rough material. And the leg strap what is actually. Into that? Cur- well, then uh, I'll go ahead and put some spikes on your shit Ooh. and bet some toothpicks. Uh, but it's also curved, so it fits around your leg, man. So Infinity Velocity Sports Equipment, you guys, thank you so much for supporting the show. Um, and one of the things you talked about was doing freestyle. So I, we, we got to start the show. I got to ask Jesse, man, Tex. So you recently got to jump a VK for the first time. Yeah, that was cool. A good, bo- a good friend of ours, Bo. Bo, mm-hmm. you know those sexy little dimples, man. <laughs> Bo is a good-looking fella. Bo asked me or told me to ask about how you chose to land your first VK experience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, or landed on rears. And uh, yeah, rears only for the first like dozen or so. So the first on it. the first jump you landed on, but I was expecting a way better story. Than no, this, I mean it's just yeah, it's that's just, pretty uh, awesome though. I mean that's ballsy to you were on a what, JFX before. Yeah, a ninety. And and what's the size of the a ninety? Valkyrie? Oh okay yeah. okay. Demo yeah. the same size. How, it's how a Valkyrie it, hybrid. How does it feel? Uh, what's the difference <sighs> between the two? Man, it's just just so much power. Like in everything, it's it's responsive, but it didn't feel twitchy. Um, yeah, it's fast and stuff, but man, when you were on the rears, it just wanted to keep going and going, and it just it felt really uh, really intuitive. You know, it was uh, it was it's pretty cool. I get it, I get it for yeah, sure. Yeah, man, I really like mine. Have you uh, played with taking the tension out of the brake line and watching it turn the opposite way? Mm. It's no, pre- I need it's, to do it's that. It's pretty funny. If you if you just pull pull the brake line until it's taut, like until it's just straight, you take the slack out of it, yeah. you're pulling on the right brake line, and it starts a left turn. Oh, no way. I don't understand why that happens. Tommy was the first person that described it to me. But, uh, yeah, it's very odd. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. DQ had explained it to me the first time, and I jumped it a dozen times before I remembered, and I'm like, all right, whoa, went the wrong way. Yeah, I don't understand why it happens. It doesn't make aerodynamic sense to my brain, but it's fun. I think I'm not sure. Just uh, it pitches. If you do it slow enough, it's just enough to change pitch, but not add too much drag. That pitch up allows it to lift up over the one side and start turning the other way. Um, put a bit of thought, but not tons into that. So, how many jumps do you have, if you don't mind my asking? Uh, just short of fifteen hundred. Okay, fifteen hundred jumps on a Valkyrie. Ooh. So fourteen twenty or something like that. How many have you done in the last year? Quite a bit. Yeah, I didn't expect 1,500, bro. Yeah, man. Uh, let's see. Last year, I would have had, I don't know, like just shy of 1,000 at the start of last year. No, because I remember being on your 1,000. 800. Uh, I think it was like eight or 900 July. to start the year, yeah. And then second half of the year was really hammered. started hammering. It's been it. a yeah. good year. Yeah, for sure. What uh, What's increased your jump numbers so much? Uh, Like working events, you know. Because those are weekends like this past week, I did 
pretty much 30 jumps, 27, 28 jumps. Oh, that was the Everglades mm-hmm. boogie, Houston. Yeah. So you start working a couple events a month and then jumping here and there during the week and stuff like that before going into work at the tunnel. And all of a sudden, yeah, you start racking up your jump well, numbers. Was that your first time in Spaceland, Florida? No, I'd no. been there, I think, the same time last year. That's the only Spaceland location I haven't seen. It's pretty cool. Is it uh, different? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is, for sure. It's uh, it's definitely got a small drop zone feel. Um, it's pretty cool. It's on a municipal airport, though, so that's a little different, too. Um, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's got a good vibe. I like it. It's been pretty cool down there. Never been. I want to go. That's all the same as me. The only one I haven't you, been you've to. You've never been. No, I've oh, been. Atlanta's my favorite location so far. Like it's geographical pretty. Yeah. location. Pretty, pretty. So Houston. You got Kevin down there. Yeah. Right now we got Rob Parker. Oh, Mr. Really? Rob. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin's out of town. Rob's filling yeah. for him. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, about the Valkyrie. So what? Uh, what was the deciding factor to to give it a shot? Because I know that uh, JFX was still pretty new to you. Because Bo walked up to me. And, oh uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Started telling me he was going to hook it up for He's me. He's a little so, bit of a pusher, huh? Yeah. So how can I say no to that? Yeah. I mean, that's that's a good call though. If you the PD rep is watching your landings and saying, hey. For sure. Check check this out. It's yeah. got to make you feel safe about it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty conservative too. I'm not like getting on it and going doing big turns. Plus, I was working at the time, so you know, I was trying to get down and get on the next load pretty quick. So uh, I wasn't trying to do anything crazy on it. Just kind of feeling it out, and um, yeah, made for a really good day for sure. So speaking of working, it seems like you're at iFly a little bit less. Yeah, yeah, definitely solidified that part time position, which is pretty nice. Um, I mean, I, I really enjoy working there, but it's and now I'm getting a better balance of getting to spend time coaching and uh, and instructing, and I feel like uh, that's going to be a good move for me going forward. So I feel like I would uh, uh, be in debt to everyone if I didn't try and steal some free coaching tips from you while, while we're talking right now. All right. So what... Uh, Have you tried screaming? S- screaming? <laughs> yes. While flying? Mm-hmm. That like helps? A bit. Absolutely. Like what kind of a scream? Time. Are we talking a high-pitched <laughs> scream? Like just a whatever low, you want, like, whatever feels good, man. Like an angry like death metal scream will work? It, sometimes. Man. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> Do you actually ever scream in the tunnel? Uh, yeah, for sure. When I'm flying low speed, just by myself. And you're just like, whoa! Yeah, in the middle of like a switch or something, and you know you got to just hold it through that little stall point. Yeah, I mean, I'm having fun with it. Do, do you do anything, Nick, like in free fall or under canopy that verbally? That's Yeah, you want to hear some shit? So I often sing songs out loud. Under canopy? Usually it's rap songs. And in my head while I'm doing it, I'm like, I'm pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll watch the video with somebody else who wasn't there under canopy with me thinking the same stupid shit I was thinking. And I hear me say what I said. And I'm like, oh, yeah, let's just not watch that part. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I landed the other day and they caught me. I was singing "When a Man Loves a Woman" under canopy. That's beautiful. The hell, <laughs> that canopy is a beautiful creature, and I am in love with that lady. Speaking of which, Justin, did you figure out who sung, sing, sings that song? Oh, oh hang on. She's so a hold on. Like let's that. let's before How? before we. Uh, she's I, mighty, mighty. I know the answer, but before the podcast started, we were uh, debating <laughs> who sings the song "Brick House." And DJ was betting that it was Rick James. So every bit of my memory, I used to work in a club in San Diego Rick called James. Fourth and B. We did concerts all the time. And I've seen a, f- 
I've seen Judas Priest several times in a year. I've met Howard Stern two or three times. We had Creed when they first showed up on the scene. <laughs> Country bands, R and B bands, cool. hip hop, you name it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Was right that after you? Judas Priest. Yeah, yeah. No, so it was everything. That was just Creed is my good impression. Yeah. Right uh, <laughs> just got to get real nasally. Making fun of it. Yeah. And yeah. I swear it was Rick James, and he was. And I can't remember who sings the song now. Now, you, now, Tex, you've challenged my fucking brain and made me terrible. Is, is, is it James Brown? No, no it's a it? fucking band of, or a group that uh, their name probably, does not ring yeah. a bell. It's yeah. the Commodores. The okay. Commodores doesn't ring a bell to you? No, dude. I'm old. Yeah, no, that is a big name for yeah. sure. So no idea. Rick James was on stage singing that song, and and during his show, he gets a bunch of like his crew goes out to the audience and picks up all the hotties. Like, yo, you want to be on stage? Yo, you want to be on stage? And at Doesn't the end, of, every musician do that? I think yeah. that'd be like the best part about being at, a famous musician. At the end of the show, that's his encore, his brick house, and all these bitches come out of nowhere off the side of the stage. You know, they're on uh, side, the side of the stage, and they all come on and start freaking on him. And in the middle of it all, I'm working on the side of the stage myself, some guys come in, grab Rick, and just dress, not drag him, but escort him off the side of the stage, and they just tell Close the show, close the show, close the show. <laughs> we had no clue, but the dude had a stroke in the middle of a bunch of what? girls freaking on him. A stroke of genius. Oh, wow. Yeah, a stroke, yeah. I guess that's <laughs> how he probably would have wanted to go. Oh, uh, dude, <laughs> he still survived. He was still good. It was a very, very minor stroke. You mm. can go look up his history. and Cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> they don't tell you where he was at, but they list a couple of events he's had and on And I stage. was like, bitch, I'm Rick James. <laughs> I'm Rick James, bitch. Calm yourself, bitches. I don't know how we you got... You do good impersonations, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, right. How, how long you been uh, back there now, Justin? I didn't even know you were running the, Since the board Since you or came last time. No shit. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah, an asshole. How, this is how many times you've been back there? Back here, this is three? Nice. Three or four. I can't yeah, right remember. on, man. You liking it? Yeah, I like it. I think he fucks it's up fun. less than me, which is a little disheartening. I know. <laughs> Not hard to do. Especially given how impressive the amount of drugs you do right before the show starts. Yeah, is. man. Yeah. <laughs> it was incredible. Gotta load it up. Yeah. I'm That's really impressed. why we started late tonight. It's like Denzel <laughs> in that in that one movie. Some of that stuff I've never even heard of. Which one? Yeah. <laughs> like all those movies where he flies a plane upside down and shit. Training Day 2. <laughs> well, also, is there a Training Day 2 coming out? Is there? I don't know. Hey, how awesome is the name of that elementary school down the street from you? Challenger? Challenger <laughs> Elementary School? Yeah. What a fucking name. Now everybody knows where I live, thanks. Oh, well. <laughs> I, mean, I wonder what appeals to you about the name. I don't know. It's just, I, I thought it was funny. Because when you like said it, saw I it, wondered, like, like, did they name it after the spaceship that blew up? Yeah, I mean, because that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, was the guy's, was someone's name Challenger? Or did they, were they just like, let's pick a badass name for this middle school? <laughs> you know, like, uh, what school did you go to? Uh, I went to Nighthawk Middle School. <laughs> The high school right down the road from it is Glenda What's their Dawson. emblem? Just like a middle finger? It's <laughs> <laughs> just such an awesome name for a school. Challenger. <laughs> as long as it doesn't catch fire and kill a bunch of kids, it's a good name. There are many odd words in Pearland. We were just discussing McCard Road. McCard? McCard. And you said that uh, Miss Valerie, your wife, who works for the city of Pearland, where this ridiculous road is placed... How does she pronounce it, DJ? McCard. Oh, There's no, no pause. McCard. You know, how she pronounces it and how I hear it, because she's a woman talking and I'm a man listening, <laughs> probably two very different mm. things. I'm getting McCard just thinking about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay, loving it. So we really were trying to talk about tunnel coaching. 
So I have recently uh, tried to embrace the suck of the the slow speed progression. Right. And, uh, you know, I don't think I had ever been in the tunnel with it lower than 70%. Mm -hmm. I would have, like, on my belly, belly flying at 70%. I would have told you it was not possible for me to stay off the net lower than that. Yeah, definitely. And uh, you had me in there the other night at 64, I think you started it out at. Yep. And uh, just getting you to really stretch out, like, really see how long you can get. Yeah, it's. It feels different. Don't take that out of context. (laughs) (laughs) You can't change the way I'm thinking about that (laughs) sentence right now. (laughs) Just put that into your show entrance. It's a a quick (laughs) quick jump from McCard to getting long. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, it's really difficult, man. It's very uh, very different than anything else I've done in the tunnel. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Are you having more people start that progression at a at an earlier point in their flying career? There's no doubt. I'm really, really, really seeing the rewards with getting people doing that slow speed stuff early on in their tunnel flying. Even uh, whereas skydivers come to you and they kind of have a more of a mechanical approach to their flying progression. Uh, I think it's a little old school way of thinking about it. Uh, you know, belly fly, then you back fly, then you sit fly, then you fly head down, and then you start trying to figure out all the little things in between all that. Um, I'm kind of introducing that stuff to them early on in their flying. So you're developing all of those tools at the same time instead of going yeah, one to exactly. the Yeah, exactly, and just doing them at different angles, you know, and really embracing the idea that almost everything is either some form of belly flying or some form of back flying. And it's really only the really, really strong static positions that are truly vertical that, you know, you spend time separately on and uh, start to combine the static and dynamic progressions at the, at the same time, introducing them all at the same time. So I'm really curious if the... So dynamic stuff is all about movement for anyone who's listening that doesn't know what we're talking about. Right. Static meaning it's holding about tight still. suits. That's really what it's tight about. Tight suits, having a good butt seems to help. Mm-hmm. I'll never um, fly dynamic. You'll see my lack of junk. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. I had a good fucking question before you brought that shit up. Uh, I'd do me. But so so dynamic is is all about moving around, kind of using more space of the tunnel, a lot of fluid movement. Yeah, definitely. So do you think the body positions that are developed through this slow speed flying are beneficial when it comes to static flying, when it comes to the, those parts of uh, yeah, I think there's progression? No, yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, being able to fly on different axes is just going to make you a stronger flyer overall. Being able to fly at different speeds, different angles, different, you know amount of power you're putting into these moves is only going to help you when you're trying to hold still. Now, having said that, especially for skydivers that are listening, you know, not people that just want to tunnel fly and just move around and stuff. But I know that there's sky specific skills, particularly vertical skills, you know, static flying where you're going straight down that you do need to take time on if those, if that flying discipline is important to you and really, really focus on being strong and being able to hold still. Because I will say that while, learning to move and cruise around and stuff is going to make you a good overall flyer. And um, you're going to be better off for being able to do different things. If you really want to be strong, static flyer, you, you got to put work into it because moving around is probably easier than See, holding still. How do you say that? But I feel like it's been the exact opposite for me. I mean, most of my, when I started flying in the tunnel, dynamic just was not a thing. I started flying in the the Utah tunnel. It's a twelve foot octagon shape. It's not round. It's not super. Um, it doesn't uh, 
provide a good space for the movement just because of the shape and the, and the size of it. And so we just learned, we all learned static because that was the thing. Like four-way VFS was like the shit, you know, that's what, what everybody wanted to do. And uh, I feel like learning the basics of it was a lot easier than learning the basics of, uh, of dynamic flying. I, I would agree with that. I think what, what I'm trying to say by saying that moving is a little bit easier than holding still is because static flying, whether it's belly formation type stuff or vertical formation, um, that is that form of flying. There's only so many different ways you can hold still, right? So to be an exceptional static flyer is is pretty difficult, Mm -hmm. you know, because the difference between your your basic, you know, like pretty good four way team at nationals and Arizona airspeed or SDC core or something like that is massive, Mm -hmm. but these skills more or less, all these teams kind of have these skills. Mm -hmm. So the it's, it's just such a, I guess your slot gets a lot smaller. Yes, exactly. To be, to, to be successful. Whereas moving around, you can, you can have your own style. You can have your own interest and stuff like that. It's, it's more, it's more free. So, uh, if you're going to be really, really interested in, big ways and things like that, then you got to spend time on those skills. You can't neglect them. But, uh, but I do think being able to move around is only going to make you better. So it's curious to me because I remember years ago, the tunnels were slower and because of slower speeds, it was hard for people to fly static unless they were good. Sure. So we were forced to learn to get vertical by moving to be vertical. And, and, And I'm sure you've seen that, that progression before. And then uh, in the more modern tunnels, static became very much the way to learn. And it's neat because from everything I've watched in the last 20 years, what you're describing to me is a a smart evolution. I I like what you're presenting. And then just in my brain, I have a hard time static on my head. That's that's our next step. I need to get back fresh on my set. I need to just lock back in. That won't take long. I need to start working on my head. But one of my biggest problems is when I move at all on my head, you've been with me, I freak the fuck out. Like, ah! And the idea that you're using movement more with it, I think would make me feel more comfortable when I'm on my head and I move. I'm like, oh, that's okay. I can do this. Well, dynamic and slow speed is going to get you, it's really going to get you stretched out and you're going to have to become very aware of the surface areas you're flying. So you're going to gain so much leg awareness and hip awareness and, you know, where your head's at and where where you're looking the entire time and stuff like that. Because at slow speed, if you're not, in a great body position, you're just going to sink out. It's you're not going to be able to fly it. Frustrating. But then when you are, yeah, but then when all of a sudden you are able to carve around and switch at 64%, then you're like, whoa, how much range have I not been tapping into this whole time? That really is what I like about the slow speed is it fills in so many of the in-between body positions, like so many parts of a transition, so many parts that when the wind's fast, you can just cheat it because the wind's going to be there to catch you. Yeah, you got it. But uh, that I think that's what's frustrating about it is I know like, hey, if when... When you, I suck. you can't be you can't be mechanical about it the way you can with static flying you know where you can be really strong and rigid and get away with that and still be good um, with dynamics uh, you you have to have a lot of body awareness a lot and so that's only going to make you better when you are trying to hold still is if you have that sort of body awareness right what's your favorite thing to coach in the tunnel do you have a favorite thing I guess maybe uh, is a better question high flights <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. Uh, 
That's called slinging fatties. That's, hey, uh, that's, that's called that's sharing called. the dream of flight with everyone. Okay? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> My sister's coming to visit next year, and I will tell you right now, you will high fly that bitch. <laughs> yeah. Hey, don't talk about Debbie that way. Okay, we're friends. Actually, if any dude, Debbie uh, called me the other day, and I actually heard. I heard a rumor that Nick's leaving the show. Uh, that's that's what. what that's she the third was, person that said that. Where is this rumor so starting? So apparently, last week, you know how I misspeak regularly because I'm an idiot. I I was drinking too much last week or something, and apparently, I said something in a way that appara- that made that made it seem like you're yeah, going off. Because Nicole asked me the same question: Are you leaving? <laughs> and it, it was probably like, "Oh, Nick's out of town. He's just doing some gigs. No big deal." But Debbie was. Freaking mad, dude. She was she was about to send you a well, personal message. Well, that's because me and Debbie are homies, and we go way back. <laughs> I think he's having an affair with my sister. I'm not hmm. sure. She's married. She's having an affair with me. <laughs> <laughs> All right? Valid. <laughs> <laughs> that's not happening. You were talking about the tunnel and the dream of flight and how great <laughs> your, uh, your red suit is. The dream of slinging fatties. Uh-huh. Good job tracking it back. <laughs> I'm trying, man. I'm trying. Uh... Yeah, your favorite thing to cut. Co- no, we're, he brought up fucking uh-huh. first time flyer bullshit. We're not. <laughs> I'm going just there more either. interested in what's going on there. <laughs> Where with him and my sister? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, dude, we talk. I mean, my sister just had a baby, and it's the same height as Nick. Coincidence? <laughs> I think not. <laughs> dude, every baby is the same size as me. What are you talking about? That's not a point. That's not a point to make. Oh, it's small. It's gotta be Nick's. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Not begging your sister, okay? It's never happened. It's just never. You guys have never been uh, within fifteen hundred miles. Does she watch his show? Does she listen? She's probably our most religious fan. Oh my god. <laughs> god. I don't want to know if she's listening right now. Debbie, I'm sorry. I don't know what's wrong with your brother. She doesn't either. You're so special to me. I miss you. Okay, so we're talking about tunnel coaching. Uh-huh. And what do you like <laughs> to do for coaching? Or what's your favorite thing to coach? Uh, yeah, I mean, I like the slow speed stuff. I had a really good time um, teaching dynamic, especially to Lane, who I competed with back in September. Have you, that was pretty cool. Were you here since you've been to Worlds? Or was that, did we talk Man, before that? I was that? thinking about that on the drive in. That was. I think that was before, because that was before the Keep It Tropical. Let me reintroduce Jesse Tex Leos, (laughs) world-level dynamic competitor, (laughs) competing, representing the United States of America. How was that competition, man? Man, it was cool. It was pretty intense. That was, um, yeah, that was really lit a fire under my ass to uh, to work hard. To set a little more background for people that don't know about the the competition, where was it at? What was it? It was uh, it was in Montreal. And it was the World Indoor Skydiving Championships uh, for 2017. And w- me and John Wiggins competed in two-way dynamic. And we were one of two USA teams there. And, um, yeah, it was pretty intense. I think there were, like, 22 different teams there in two-way. And uh, we got 13th, which was a really good result for us. Yeah, really good. Man, how did it feel to compete at a world-level event? Is that, is that a mind fuck at all? Uh, you know, it's it's crazy because I've done it in other sports. Oh, you've done it in a Nazi football. Yeah, right? okay. yeah, and, uh, and I've you know I've played high level sports and stuff, so I've been in intense situations. But that's definitely that's different. Um, I don't know. It is. It's pr- it's pretty wild. I mean, and the focus is a lot more just on you for sure. Like they're not looking at the team. Yeah, you know exactly. You're 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 the show. Yeah, and you're you know just t- tunnel and skydiving in general. Your opponent 
is never somebody you're directly faced off with. You know, you're never really actually engaging with the the other team like you are in most sports. So it's just about doing your you know your best when it's your moment. Um, but it's it's pretty wild. You know, I thought some of the tunnel competitions we had gone to were you know pretty intense with the amount of pressure you put on yourself to fly well and stuff. But uh, when you're at Worlds and you're in the antechamber with all these flyers that you just look up to and you know have been watching their videos for the last five years and trying to steal their style and steal their moves and you know uh all that kind of stuff and you're coming up like head to head with them it's it's wild it's 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 pretty wild so you just kind of got to get in a zone and you know trust that you belong there and just make yourself believe that you know you really belong on that on that stage and it's uh it's pretty intense but it was really really gratifying you know we had a few really good wins we had a couple of like really close rounds with teams that you know i would consider in the top three in the world and stuff and uh just the entire experience was was really cool it was cool to see like how different athletes in the tunnel you know prepare and approach the events you know some people are like super intense and i was gonna ask who the most intense team was um because i remember you describing these young ladies from singapore i think oh yeah they were like how old are these girls first off I think they are like 15 and 16 or okay. something like that. Still young girls, okay. Yeah, because I think you have to be 15 now or something to compete at oh, Worlds. Oh, compete at Worlds, yeah, that's, yeah. I think it's 13 at Worlds, isn't it? Maybe. Yeah, they may be, yeah maybe 13. Because it might even be 12, and I only know this because of uh, the Wittenberg kids. Right, but Noah is 12, right? He's about to be 12. He's about to be. I think they're 11 and 13. I think you have to be 13 and up. I think that's what it is. Because I, I don't think they're eligible again this year based on those FII rules. Only if somebody had a magic box to find that answer. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah, that's going to be a hard one. <laughs> yeah. Is it really? Yeah. Uh, I mean, FAI, world-level competition, indoors skydiving, try try a mix of those things. Yeah, we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I know, that's why I aspire the Wittenberg kids who are the shredder, shreddiest of shredders yeah, in the tunnel. Yeah, wild. Yeah, they... Um, yeah, they can't compete yet because they're not yeah, old which enough, is which a, is pretty wild. Man, like, it's a you, you beat all these adults in these national level competitions. Yeah, you're beating the competition considerably. Yeah, and you're not allowed to compete at a world level. Yeah, and you know, I, I'm just not sure what the thought. I'm not deep enough into that, you know, administrative side of like what. Uh, <laughs> Maybe adults just can't ha- handle having their heart crushed by tiny children. Yeah, I mean, now having said that, I, I don't think they would have gone and won the world championship last year but maybe in a couple years they would um i i I don't know that but uh you know i think that's even more reason that the year before they competed at the worlds and they didn't i think i think they were top 10 or something i mean they definitely did great but they didn't win either so it's not as if they couldn't be beat and that there's the advantage is is inherently that far skewed to the kids Mm -hmm. but at the same time, I guess there are people that believe that, and I'm not really sure. You know, I've talked to Mike about it, and I've heard his his opinion on it, and uh, which I completely understand, is that those kids are working just as hard as any other team, and they deserve a chance to compete against whoever. Um, but then, you know, the other side of that is they are 60 pounds, and maybe there is such an advantage that it doesn't uh, – there's no way it's ever going to be an equal playing field, or maybe it turns into gymnastics, and you got a bunch of – you know, 
seven-year-olds from China versus the best <laughs> nine-year-olds from you know the U.S. and all, maybe people don't want that to happen. To it's you. a crazy thing to think about, but I guess I, I didn't consider that as a possibility. But I, I I don't know if that's one of the big motivations that went into that decision or not. But um, it is I would fifteen just, years old, by the way. Fifteen. So I what I'm wondering is but is Kaylee was just competing at Worlds though, right? Freestyle. Uh, yes, but she was doing junior freestyle. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. there's a difference, okay. So the IOC, Inter- International Olympic Committee, or whatever it is, to qualify or to compete, you have to be 16 years of age. That's the first question I had, and I just looked that up to confirm. Did you did you see that this week they were talking about making a bid to put indoor skydiving in the Olympics? That would be badass. It would be. I don't know if it's realistic. It's not, I don't... It just seems so far-fetched to me. I mean, I, I would support it. I, I love the sport, obviously. Artistic would do um, it. Yeah, yeah. I, I really think artistic and, and two and four way dynamic. Yeah. Like I, I don't. Uh, but uh, it, it, do you do you think it's realistic? I feel like I you mean, also have to consider that they have trampoline jumping in the Olympics. <laughs> that's true. They have, <laughs> they have speed walking in the Olympics. That's yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. But I, I I think I just don't know if the infrastructure is there right now. Like I can't the tunnel infrastructure. Yeah, the the tunnels and the support from nations cuz isn't the Olympics, yeah. you know, like the US is sending their team versus the best German team versus the best, you know, whatever. Uh at this point, you know, we barely have any countries supporting their skydiving athletes, you I know, like France and stuff and you know, obviously the US has a skydiving support system, but not an indoor no. skydiving system and then the uspa officially like kind of said fuck y'all yeah last year so um who's going to be our governing body to represent and support and make this a full-time thing for the athletes i mean there's just no infrastructure for that yet if you if you compete in indoor skydiving you know unlike almost any other sport if you're a track and field athlete you wake up and you care about taking care of yourself and making yourself faster today. And there's almost no one in this sport right now where that's their end-all, be-all, you know, where they can focus on that. So we haven't even seen what's kind of possible in, in the tunnel world, and it's hard for me to imagine that bid, like, really capturing people's attention that they're going to send the best from whatever country, and it's going to be any different for the, the Olympics than it already is for, like, the world championships. I mean, the, we're not getting any funding here in the U.S., and we – are home to the biggest tunnel company in the world with iFly. Right, but I think part of the Olympic appeal is probably the ability to commercialize it and make money off of people watching it. But um, yeah, I understand. I understand that motivation. I, I think it's it is growing really fast, and I think part of that has to do with uh, iFly's desires to to grow at that same speed. And so I just wish I, that desire manifested itself in like some sort of like serious support system for for the athletes you know like you know training support and and stuff like that if they if they were really really serious about making and not just iFly we're not just speaking just about iFly there's tons of tunnel companies in the world mm-hmm. um uh, very few of them and definitely very few nations are supporting tunnel, tunnel athletes to the point where it's like legitimize a sport by having really 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 good athletes for your home country representing your home country but most of those teams at the World Championships, as incredible as they were, very few of them were really representing a country. They were representing specific tunnels that uh, you know helped them with their training programs and stuff like that. I mean, we have Josh, 
who just won his second world championship in a row, who's, you know, a Mexican American and he's representing Poland, Poland, you know? So to me, that doesn't blow me away by like the world, you know, being on the world stage when the best athletes are not even really representing their home countries. I think the biggest obstacle, the the number of countries I don't think is going to be a huge obstacle because how many countries send two athletes to the Olympics in general? So there's plenty of sports not represented. But so to compete at the world level, you have to be recognized by an international body, the FAI in this case. And the FAI, I don't know if you know the details, but you have to be appointed by a NAC, a national aero club. Right. USPA is a NAC, and USPA says, you're our U.S. team, and that's what the problem came to be with you guys. Sure. I didn't think of that level. The fact that there are several countries, we're not the only one that has no knack to represent their tunnel system. Yeah. So we're going to have an even larger lack of people showing up because of lack of a National Aero Club. Yeah, and I I think they could sort all those problems out. I'm confident that they could, and they they probably will over the next few years. Mm -hmm. Um, I would just like to see, you know, if we're going to really, really take tunnel to the next level – and make it a worldwide sport like that, um, which I mean, it, it you can make the argument it already is, but I want to see home countries like you know supporting their athletes and stuff like that, and that's going to help push the sport to a, to another level. But right now, we definitely don't have that in the U.S. and most other places don't either. You know, and there's big tunnels like Flyspot and tunnels like that that put a little bit more emphasis on the sport side of it, and they. Uh, support a lot of top top flyers training programs but again that's a tunnel that's not really a home country i I really think that as like public awareness of what tunnel flying is as it grows i think that uh and maybe it's taken a little more seriously as a sport i think that would really heighten its chances of being in the olympics because it's really hard for me to know what the with as immersed as we are in this world what the normal regular citizens perception of what indoor skydiving might <laughs> no be and might, might look like like when i think of like think about the dudes that ride like the jet things on the water you know mm-hmm. those things like that's a serious sport J- to somebody jet ski? no not a jet ski it's like the hover thing uh, like it's like a jet oh, okay. pack on the water right, kind of yeah. you know what you know what I'm saying? usually hooked sure. up to a jet ski yeah no, it's a massive water pump no, that you're the, actually like you know, kind of like floating the, over the water. He's got the boots and the water shooting out. And it's connected to a hose to him, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. That hose is hooked up to the uh, oh, the jet, jet ski is what's yeah. powering it. Okay. Yeah. But to, to up, there's a community where that's a serious sport and where those dudes 100%. might yeah, even yeah. talk like, yeah, we got a, I've got this <laughs> sweet competition coming up, whatever. And it's like, to me, that's not a real sport. Correct. That's just how I view it. I, I could be wrong. If I was immersed right, in that, I, 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 I might that, think yeah. differently. but I understand differently. It's mostly subjective. I'm just trying to compare that to what the average person's view of what indoor skydiving means as a sport. What's your perception of the person that competes in that sport? In whatever our water sport that I don't know its name is called? Yeah, like what? Like who? how would you describe this person if you He's were giving, a, giving it to a sketch artist right now? Like who? He's a bro uh-huh. wearing some serious, like, surfboard shorts i'm thinking like like barbed wire oh he's definitely got that barbed wire yeah yeah Yeah, and he uh says super cool stuff like it is what it is (laughs) it's that guy he's Uh, got that tattooed for sure (laughs) i just picture a skydiver without a rig there you go that's pretty fair as hard as it's as hard as it might be i think they're a little douchier than that Wow. But I don't know. I don't know these people. I don't <laughs> fucking know. But my point is, is like, if I heard that they were trying to put that into the Olympics, I'd be like, that does not belong in the Olympics. That's not a sport. You so I just wonder if the average person's perception of indoor skydiving, that they might think the same thing of like, oh, what's what's hard about that? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. I don't. 
I don't necessarily care in in terms of like how much that makes me love the sport and and want it to succeed. Um, I think that can be overcome. But um, I, what about what about this? What about what about the X Games? There's tons of sports that are in the X Games that have become Olympic sports recently. What about you know, I feel like the X Games would be really attainable. It would mm-hmm. be right up the X Games alley. It would give a ton of exposure to indoor skydiving. And I think through that process, it could probably be legitimized as a sport and for people training for that massive competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could easily turn into something bigger. You know, that, that would be a, eligible for the Olympics. I think it's a super good idea. The only th- challenges I see is that a, a tunnel is not a mobile thing. Yeah, like the ramps no and everything that they use at the X Games, they can take that anywhere and set that up at any s- state fairground yeah, you're anywhere. Right. You're right. And I think that the the tunnel not being a mobile thing, you know, it's in a, it's an enclosed space. You can really only have so many spectators watching it live. And just I, in just in general, right? I mean, uh, like whether it becomes good for the X Games or Olympics, or most of these venues, these tunnel venues, I mean, uh, is that is that a factor, you think? God, can you imagine how beautiful a tunnel, like, built to have a view like outside in a stadium as part of an awesome. Olympic event? Can you imagine how great that, yeah, that would be? Pretty like, wild. stadium seating around killer. it. Yeah, I don't, maybe it's elevated, the tunnel's elevated. Are there any sports where there's, like, almost no spectators? When I say almost no, so, I mean, like, less than a few hundred, because I don't that think, would be a tunnel. I mean, triathlon... It's, it's not, spread out. Yeah, it's right. spread out. Okay. Bike I mean, races. Yeah. I guess there's always a finish line. Sure. And there are, but I mean, the, to me, like when I, I had a brief obsession with triathlon and I watched a lot of it and the, the camera's ability to follow people. Were you vegan at this time? Fuck, probably. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it makes sense. Did you wear a lot Damn of tights? It. No, that was before the you tights. You haven't been wearing tights lately? Yeah, I don't know. Back to triathlons, I'm sorry. I miss, I miss tight pants. Actually... Option hold on, hold on. New tights. Just saying. hang on. Before we get to that, <laughs> DQ and Ivy brought me a gift this week, and it's stretchy pants from Bucky's that have these ridiculous no. colors of little Bucky's logos oh, all over them. Like. No. <laughs> <laughs> I I was gonna wear them tonight just to bother you <laughs> because I knew you would love Bucky's but hate me wearing these super flamboyant stretchy pants. Yeah, that's a hell but of a dilemma right there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think the X Games is is the limitation you say it is or think it is. And the, the two things that make me say it is, number one, for the winter X Games, they have to be very selective about their sites. And they can do the same thing with any X Games to have the tunnel. They can select sites that are in cities that have Yeah, that. I mean, they've had it in Austin the past few years. And then to top it off, sky surfing was in the X Games for many, many years. And that's part of what got me into skydiving in the 90s. And they had the point break and sky surfing. <laughs> Straight up, it is, man. It is. Uh, that's my era. That's that's when I started skydiving. Um, and they would actually skydive at Oceanside or, or somewhere in that area. They would land. There was no DZ there at the time. They would land somewhere remotely away from the rest of the X Games. All the sky surf video was remote because it was a live feed down to an audience watching on the ground. So we could legitimately set up a tunnel in Austin where the X Games is going on, patch a live feed to where the crowd is and have that. So it's not as fan friendly. And that's why sky surfing died. It's not as fan friendly or or viewer friendly, but it it can be done. So what's keeping um, like. So what like why doesn't skydiving want to be in the Olympics? 
Scott Ivey wants to be in the Olympics. Scott yeah, Ivey's so tried. It okay, yeah. so it's it's making a real big push for that because that's that's what I'm thinking. Like, you've got tons and tons of professional skydivers. Yeah. Um, that compete, and there's definitely plenty of teams around the world that are you know super serious four way belly teams, super serious four way VFS teams. You know, freestylers out there. Um, like you've got a decent amount of like professional skydivers out there that all compete for world championships within skydiving, that it's super important for them. And it's super important for a lot of home nations to send good athletes. So why aren't we already doing that with tunnel flying as we go to make a bid to be in the Olympics? Will that help tunnel flying in that sense? Or like skydiving doesn't need the Olympics on the horizon to support you know, it's yeah. uh, it's national athletes. Skydiving's tried over the years to make the push. Um, it, the biggest problem with skydiving is is it's such a limited group of people who skydive, and because it's a limited group, the money's not there, and because the money's not there, then nobody is interested. Yeah, and that's where I think indoor skydiving is going to crack it because number one you can be as young as you want to be in the tunnel. And then by the time you're eligible to compete, you're dope. What is the most popular Olympic uh, events? Gymnastics, ice skating, winter and summer. Those are two of your most popular Olympic sports that people watch on TV. And what is fucking dynamic? It's two-way artistic dancing is what you what you guys do is dancing to a sense. I'm sorry, but it, you're making faces at me. You guys do hold hands. And then freestyle, <laughs> that those beautiful young Maybe. ladies and men when they're Maybe dancing, cause. that's gymnastic at its highest. Is DJ making sense? I right can now? just imagine like I mean, a bedazzled flight don't suit be in mad the tunnel. I am. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like I see both sides of it, and I especially feel the pull from girls the who want to be the pull. <laughs> he feels the pull from girls. That's right. Usually That's when he's on the net trying to get long. Usually they're feeling the pull. <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. No, but like a girl who would be a figure skater, but. That person has found tunnel flying instead. Sure, I think that 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 number of girls is going to increase pretty quickly over the over the near future. Yeah, and I feel like they are going to have a lot of influence because attractive girls in the tunnel, people are going to want to watch more than dudes. Just reality, you're going to have more people looking at it, and um, I feel like that that'll be a big influence. Like I feel like it will have an artistic. Not, I hope not quite like Michelle Kwan oh, man. That's, figure skating. That's part of what I'm worried about. <laughs> is that man? I love this sport so much. I love flying so much, and maybe that's why you know some of the best flyers in the world don't compete because it takes away kind of the freedom aspect mm-hmm. of flying. Um, but, but I honestly, it, I'm, I'm afraid that I am going to be a part of uh, air dancing. At, I think at you're going to get sucked into it. I do. <laughs> like, I, I you do. know, like, am I going to be wearing fringe pretty soon? And we're going to have like Fire a little, nice. a little, a little backup dance, like before we oh, get. Don't so, say backup dancers. I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. So at the world championships, we got we yeah, got you Leo. Hear this story. Yeah, we got Leo doing like a dance routine synchronized to the music before he gets in the tunnel. I mean, and he's like dancing for almost a full minute before he jumps in the tunnel and (laughs) and then he gets out and he's not even done dancing. Now he's like, he's posing and he's, uh, you know, and he won the world championship this year and that's great. He's an insane flyer. Insane. But is that what I got to be? Do I got to be blades (laughs) of glory? You know, now I don't compete in freestyle. So that is different, but I feel like if that's the major draw, the spectator draw, that's, what's going to push this sport to the next level is the air dancing aspect. Like, 
Is that a term that's seriously used? No, I'm using it a little. Okay, okay. I, I think, but here's, I think the 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 woofo, if you will, for tunnel flying does kind of call it. I've seen it that when it goes viral, you know, when some yeah, freestyle okay. girl goes viral. And, and you it's, know, I think I have seen that, wind, that wind phrase da- on the wind internet. dancer or something like that. I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It kind of makes you want to wear some sequins, doesn't it? No. I want to bedazzle your jumpsuit. No, but like imagine, imagine you've watched figure skating. So how do I rebel against that? Do I just like fly in overalls or something? Fly in all denim. I'm down for that. You're already doing it. Yeah, hell yeah. We did that the other day. You've seen figure skating, right? No. Shut the fuck up. But imagine (laughs) figure skating, like minus the commentary and minus the music, how uh, entertaining is their routine for a spectator who can't relate to the difficulty of, of the... Performance. Yeah, I mean that's definitely and see that's where I that's where when it comes to pushing the sport to the next level, it's it's difficult because you you don't really understand what you're watching except that it looks cool, but the level of difficulty is really really hard to impart on people. Um, that uh, the difference in styles at that level is as much about their overall flying ability as it is their expression of the, of themselves you know um it's really it's really difficult to explain that to people um and so as a competitor not in freestyle but in in dynamic um i i kind of don't care either though you know what i mean like i i want the sport to grow and succeed but also if people don't understand that what you know we just did was difficult or something like that or that our routine was more difficult than a team that an you know some lay person liked more well i don't care you know like i just gotta focus on the actual flying of it um so that's where i think it'll run into trouble like really pushing it to the next level is how do we you know how do we make that more captivating for people and how do we kind of make them appreciate just how difficult it is here's a sneak preview of next year's routine by the way Oh, that's beautiful! Oh, yes, oh, yeah. little nice. fire and ice on TV. Mm, so provocative. When when we see these gals <laughs> and guys uh, flying freestyle <laughs> in the tunnel, how often do you think those flyers are flying to music in their helmets? I would say pretty often. I mean, uh, so, some of those routines were really. I mean, Leo's routine was super synced up with the music. So I mean, he was definitely putting a lot of time into that routine and getting that. With the, I mean, it's just it yeah. was obvious. When I watched the Facebook feed, I didn't get to see any of the freestyle. I, I watched basically. I tuned into Facebook to watch you. That's that's all I did. Well, fair enough, uh, dude. I, man, represent. Um, but I, I they didn't play. There's no background. Or when those live feeds are going on, Nick, did you see any music being played with those? I, I can hear the music in the background. They had to muffle it because of copyright, copyright stuff. Oh, is what I would think. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So so sense. again, that was like that was. That was weird. Everybody had all these free routines, and people watching at home are like, "Where's where's the music?" Yeah, I I feel like I could hear enough of it. It's been a while now, so my memory's a little vague, but I feel like I could hear enough of it that I could make out the song that they were uh, that they were flying to. I almost said dancing to. We we had triple Cow. We had Stevie Ray Vaughan uh, as our song. His version of Voodoo Child. What, what that was, was our free routine song. What was your team name nice. again? It, and and sync. That's what it was. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we're still friends, right? It, it was the no. uh, Tunnel Street Boys. No. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> 
You guys are still my favorite boy band. But Carve and Take It was the team name. That's right. Which I really enjoyed. Uh-huh. I wanted to go with New Kids in the Tunnel, but I'm, that's too old of a joke <laughs> for everybody. Yeah. New Kids on the Block. Yeah, I, yeah. I liked New Kids Turning Blocks. For, Ooh, for, I like uh, that one. For a formation team of some sort. But oh, Carve and Take yeah. It. Yeah. Like Come and Take It, the Texas flag. Gonzalez battle flag. You know, hey, so Nick, I want Is wanna... Wiggins from Texas, too? Yeah, but he doesn't that, really act like okay, it. Okay, because I feel like you may have just totally hijacked the team name and made it super pro Texas just sure. because that's who you are. <laughs> that's probably that's probably okay, exactly sorry, what happened. DJ yeah. had a question. No, we need to make an executive decision for Texas because Texas is not going to make this decision for himself. We need to get a sticker created that says Tex, and part of the E or the T on the mu- on the bar needs to be his fucking mustache. <laughs> what do you think about a Tex sticker with a good old Texas did, mustache? Did on you it? see? I photoshopped something that I'm pretty proud of. It's Texas head and face on a Tyrannosaurus Rex, and it's called the Tyrannosaurus Tex. Which <laughs> no, yeah, no, I have not seen it. Yes, I want it. It's art. It's beautiful. <laughs> so we need to get convinced. I, I don't think it's do on this. the internet though. <laughs> but no, you know, I really I his Photoshop is pretty impressive, huh? Like, it's super like, fucking shit. Whenever I get like no. a text message and it says Nick Lot, and then it's got one image attached or something like that, as I'm <laughs> opening it, I'm already just. Like, what the hell is this going to be? I don't... Like, if you ask me to do a good job of Photoshopping something... No, but that's like what makes it so great. Yeah, that's but, what makes it so but if, great. But if you're asking for a 10-minute comical, <laughs> like, pretty shitty, rough, but mildly convincing Photoshop job, yeah, I'm your guy. Yeah. I'm your that's guy what we're that. looking for, a fun time. You, you want you want more humor than than design skill? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty... I'm, I'm right there. <laughs> but, uh, no, dude, I would fucking love to see you get sponsored by, like, Bucky's... Waffle House and like Man. some other just super stereotypical company. From I the mean, South. that's the dream, right? Dr. Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Most Texans, you got to admit, Dr. Yeah, Pepper yeah, is a for sure. Waco, Texas. This, yeah. Yep. Really? That's the thing here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Waco. Dude. Dr. Pepper. So, Southerners drink Coke in general. When I say Coke in general, you're in most Southern states. Would you like something to drink, sweetheart? Yes, I'd like a Coke. What kind of Coke would you like? A Dr. Pepper. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. So, in the. In Coke the, means soda. That's, yeah. yeah, it's just a ubiquitous term for yeah. soda. Oh, fuck, yeah, I didn't know in that. In Texas, this ain't true. This is just a joke. Dr. Pepper means soda. It just. Yeah. Yeah. You can use Dr. Pepper. Like so, that, so, there's a potential that I order a Dr. Pepper at a restaurant and they say, What kind of Dr. Pepper do you want? No, no, not so much as oh, Coke. Okay, okay. I was going to no. that cuz my fucking mind would melt if someone asked me that question. <laughs> Let's take them to a restaurant and set this up. <laughs> How many times would you say you eat a Waffle House in a normal year? Uh Let's just say in a month. That's maybe easier. A month? Yeah. Oh, you know, like once, twice a month. When's the last time you ate at a Waffle House? With Nick? this the guy, thing, the on thing is, is that they go, Eve, they it? go through, they go through waves. Didn't you know, we where eat it's, yeah, Christmas Eve. Yeah, at and then before that, we may have ate for like, I don't know, like five consecutive meals at Waffle House or yeah, something like that. True. So that's just kind of how it goes. Yeah, fifteen yeah. years since I've eaten at one. Damn. I like the awful waffle. I just haven't been to one. Oh, man, you gotta go. There's one down God. the road from my house, down five eighteen. There's one like east of me. Are you talking about Waffle House when you say Awful Waffle? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Awful Waffle's nickname for the Waffle House because you're drunk at 3 o'clock in the morning. Dude, their waffles are so fucking good. No, it's a wonderful place. I can't believe that anyone would call it an Awful Waffle. But when you're drunk at 3 in the morning, let's go to the Awful Waffle was the way to go. Well, I have never been drunk at 3 in the morning, but I have been to Waffle House and it was delicious every time. I've done both and it's always been good. (laughs) (laughs) It's consistent. It seems, I mean, I, I think I've been to three different Waffle House locations and it's all very similar Super reliable. Professional. Yeah, exactly. High class folks abroad. <laughs> How does a so, greasy diner fuck up breakfast? 
You can't. God, and the mutants, the mutant people oh, that are in Waffle people House. People watching. It's so great. That's the best yeah. part. The and Walmart I, of restaurants. I worry. I'm like, do I fit in here? What the fuck am I doing with my life? Oh, I love just hijacking the um, the jukebox, especially when uh, I do that you, too. You can look around. You're like, everyone's gonna hate this song. Or if they have like touch tunes and you put it on your app and they have no idea who's playing it. There you go. That's the best. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> so do you, you yeah. don't pick music that you like. You look around. No, and pick I mean, music I you think I, everybody's I, I just most most of the time people don't like it. So. So do you know? Do you know comedian? Uh, John? I may put a, like a Creed song on there as I <laughs> as, like as I'm checking out. You know, like I just paid <laughs> up and they're just I'll leave you all with this. Do you know John Mulaney? Have you heard of this comedian? Oh, I love no. that guy. Super funny. funny. But he has a bit about uh, when he was young, living in Chicago. There's a place called the Salt and Pepper Diner, and him and his friend go in and they uh, put on repeat or they play eleven plays of uh, What's, What's New Pussycat. Yes, that's and pretty just good. Just watch the diner go insane. Just and, and melt down. The the great part of the joke is they. Put Put in seven what's new pussycats and then one um it's not unusual <laughs> it's not unusual they just blend in together no everyone like everyone's caught on that the song is playing over and over and they're losing their shit gotcha and then this other song comes and then on, it goes back <laughs> to, <laughs> and, yeah, and then it goes back to what's new pussycat <laughs> it's really funny john mulaney is one of my good. favorite comedians that that's really but, uh, good. yeah john mulaney what's new pussycat look that shit up i like it yeah i like that a lot so waffle house bucky's who else are we going to get for you as a sponsor Levi's. <laughs> what about just the denim industry? Springfield as a whole? Armory. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, I was looking at them today. I feel like we could Lone combine. Lone Star Beer. We could combine all of these shiners into one skydive, I think. Oh, man, that'd be great. Yeah. Hey, we should do that. That's we a go good, to Bucky's, that's buy a some good shiner. Video idea right there, man. <laughs> Even if we don't pick up sponsors, can we let's write, just have a good time. Can you go write to, that down for me, Justin? Go to Bucky's, pick up shiner, <laughs> make this guy have a go denim, over the top. I feel like we house. need to throw like Balvini <laughs> or McAllen in there also. <laughs> oh, we're we're yes. getting redneck right I now, mean, buddy. Most, <laughs> most can, Waffle Houses are in rural, rural enough areas that we could fucking land there. Yeah. Or just I'm outside kiting my canopy. Like no, I just we're gonna it. land. Okay, there. fair enough. Yep. It's gonna be a swoop and waffle oh. competition. <laughs> all right, it's gotta happen. Yeah, Chug maple, maple syrup, just like a super trooper. Sure, sure, perfect. It's gotta be in the country enough <laughs> that we can actually land, land shoot, and no, then he walk gets when he get all the house. syrup in them. <laughs> land, pop, pop, and then walk in. <laughs> Have you guys? Sorry, Justin and I are just shooting super troopers quotes back yeah. and forth. Have you guys seen the preview for the next super troopers no. movie? Yes. It, it, <laughs> It looks good. Yeah. Comes out on I, 420. I've oh, is that true? I've never seen a sequel that I've really liked. Honestly, like I never saw Anchor or Anchorman two. I never saw the second Dumb and Dumber because I heard they were terrible. Good call. But I think I have enough faith in uh, in the Super Troopers guys, and that that like it's a lot more independent film. I think they're gonna do a good job. Is there no good I sequel so out too. there? Empire Strikes Back. The Schnozberries taste like Schnozberries. <laughs> That's a good, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean I, it's only one I, I don't can watch Star Wars, but that's yeah. sounds, Empire yeah. Strikes Back, which to some people isn't the strongest in the series, but it's not episode one. I feel like okay. the second John Wick was better than the first. Jurassic Park 2, no doubt. Yeah, there was, was like that good? Classic. Park. No, I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> well, no, dude, there really <laughs> aren't. Like, I was a dinosaur nerd when I was a little kid. <laughs> yeah, me and too. So all the, all the Jurassic Park, well, not all of them. There were some shitty ones in there. What was the, the well, There was one? more than two? Because I know Jurassic Park one, the Lost yeah, World is the Lost new World, one. the one that came out, like and the one that just came out. Ago. Yeah, there's more between that. I'm pretty sure. Oh, holy shit! Yeah, there's a third Jurassic Park. I know. 
Well, yeah, they, your questions weren't answered after three. <laughs> <laughs> I just knew it. I watched the first one just because my buddies convinced me to watch the first one. I liked it, and then I didn't know they existed again. Awkward puzzles. Hey, we're halfway <laughs> through the show. Uh, so I wanted to bring this up before I forget. Ooh. Mr. Kevin Craig was uh, kind enough to make a donation to karaoke night coming up, which April 7th? April 7th. It's a Saturday. Mr. Grubbs, will you verify that date is, is, is an April 7th? What is this? We're having a yep, Gravity April Lab 7th. sponsored karaoke night at oh the Drop yeah. Zone. All right. So uh, if you want to come belt your heart out to some fucking Johnny Cash mm. or... Or Def Leppard. I think Steve Earle's Copperhead Road is my go-to. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. There you go. Come and Get do some it. line dancing cranking in there. <laughs> but uh, Kevin was very kind and generous, giving me this $50 towards that uh, towards that Damn. event. So, Dude, Kevin Craig, so thank you very much. The, uh, the pot is growing, and uh, DJ and I talked about it briefly, that uh, if we get more money raised than the cost of putting on the event, then uh, maybe we'll put that towards the next event, or maybe we're going to put that towards beer. We're just going to put it towards a good time. That we do promise. And the Hookers. Rating Center, who does help <laughs> advertise and sponsor Gravity Lab Radio, has a new canopy coach that they'll be announcing sometime soon. DQ is rad. We'll talk about that later. Well, you just said <laughs> his fucking name. Did I say that, that out loud? That was not discreet. You announced it. I did not. I, did I mean, not. maybe for someone who doesn't know who he is, so I'll let it slide. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, hey, how'd your, uh, how are, how are, how's the AFF course going? It's done. You finished that course. Sam Lombardo is a fucking AFF instructor. That is Sam wild. Lombardo whooped your ass to the rating, bro. That is wild. <laughs> <laughs> He's talked to me about getting ratings for a couple of years. Now, granted, you had a very justifiable reason. You said, I'm taking this alternate route. I'm working on these things right now. Yeah, man. I, I like I, I like throwing myself into stuff like just full on. And uh, right now, um really focused on becoming a better flyer myself as I, you know, start working a lot more. Um, and I don't think I would be able to give AFF uh, the sort of, like, attention it deserves. So this is a very, very rare statement. First of all, I'm extremely critical and extremely picky with instructors because it's not about you or me. We have to train students, and that student's going to fly under canopy next to my wife and may or may not kill her. That is my ultimate selfishness of skydiving. But that being said, this is something I won't say to most people. I will say to you, with your training background, because you coach at high levels, you coach, when I say at high levels, high levels of flying, but high levels, even low level flying, beginners. And with your flying ability, I think you could get into AFF part time and be just fine. And that is not normal. Now, that being said, you're dedicating your time to other things. And, and I think that's one of the things that, Nick, you, you dug out of them last time is you announced last time you were here a, a brand new program Spaceland was bringing in or really an extension of an old program and sure. it's a mentor program. I, I would see it as an extension. Y'all have done such a good job with the the Belly Mentor program, you and Val, that yeah. uh, I definitely don't want to uh, – it wasn't a you know unique idea or anything. I was just the first, it seems like, to uh, to start putting some – some uh, some things in motion to actually making it happen. I, I we we've talked about it for a long time as Spaceland. As Skydive Spaceland goes, as Valerie and I go, as, as we've worked very hard in the mentor program, and we've invested a lot of time and energy, and, and and we really believe the development and what we've gotten has gone very far. And I think you've seen a lot of our infrastructure now. No doubt. Um, we've put a lot to it, and uh, dude, without trying to just suck your dick, I couldn't be happier with a person who's running the mentor program for free flying at Spaceland. What did I just? What do you mean the free flying mentor program? Why don't you guys talk about that if you don't mind? Uh, yeah, we made we made a 
the only real massive requirement would just be having over 100 jumps. And part of that is to really encourage people to continue taking advantage of the Belly Mentor Program, which I know they're going to get a lot out of. So really encouraging them to take advantage of that. And then after 100 jumps, if they're they're interested in uh, beginning to free fly and, and they're seemingly ready for it, meaning they're a you know decently uh, safe belly flyer that has some formation experience um, and they really want to get into free flying, giving them an avenue to pick people's brains that have experience and have knowledge and um, have an opportunity to learn and jump with people. Um, that's going to make them a safer, safer skydiver and a better free flyer by not just going alone um, until they start to figure it out. I really feel like there's a pretty big craving for coaching right now at the drop zone with all of the new jump package people that are around. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of them have lower jump numbers than some of the jump package members we've we've seen in previous years, and um, it feels like there's uh, definitely a, a need for some weekday guidance. I went just on a fun jump. I chased a, a group out and um, just started talking about, oh, if you want your exit to to go better, let's try this and do this. And by the time I was done explaining it to them, there were 15 people gathered around the TV watching what I was explaining. I could mm. tell that people were really hungry, hungry to to hear what uh, yeah, that's what, great. What people had to say that knew how to free fly. We had uh, Luis Pernetto in town last week. These guys week. were rock stars, dude. That I was that was a cool weekend. Uh, two weekends ago, I guess. Uh, Luis was in town and he gave a seminar on Saturday night and I was, if anything, just impressed with the, the young guys that, uh, stayed around for it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, some of those are the, the new fun jumpers and they had like really good questions, really good questions. They were super engaged and, um, yeah, it's, I can see what you're saying. They seem, they seem hungry. Do you guys, uh, for the free fly mentor program, is there an upper limit, uh, for jump numbers? No, so I have to have at least a hundred jumps. What, what? No, because I mean, free flying is different in the sense that uh, we have a four-way belly competitor with four thousand jumps and you know medals and belly and stuff like that, but has never done a free fly jump in their life, and they want to come, you know, start start the basics of free flying. Um, yeah, I want them to feel comfortable coming up to us and and taking advantage of that too. So we're not trying to limit it uh in that sense at all mm, and that's really the answer i was hoping for i just didn't know if logistically or financially there was a, a reason that it couldn't be a, a, another way no but i we, but, we're definitely trying to gear it towards people getting into free flying new working on basic skills um in terms of just their flying itself and basic concepts of you know free fly formation skydiving um, and how things happen faster and the proper ways to approach and how those fundamentals are similar to belly flying and how it's all just happening a lot, a lot faster. And, um, just giving people an idea that as they get into it, that it's not just about being able to fly well, but it's about understanding these ways to fly safe too. I think that's so important what you guys are doing. Uh, fuck the skill set part for one second. The thing that I love about the mentor program, free flight or belly, is, is we teach and promote mindset more than anything else. And that's the thing that I'm seeing you, Cody Prentice, I believe, is one of your mentors. Yep. Phil Palmer is one mm -hmm. of your mentors, who previously worked in the belly mentor program. So that's been a cool transition there to watch him do. You guys, as much as you're preaching, you're preaching mindset more than anything else. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> skill set wise, uh, you know, we've got mentors out there, hopefully going forward, at least every Saturday. It would be great if we had them 
Saturday and Sunday, um, but we're going to let the program kind of build its way up. But yeah, I mean, you're not going to be able to teach people on one or two jumps a day with them, whatever flying skills they need. Um, but hopefully they're walking away with more than just the flying skill uh, input, but, you know, ways to approach their progress and ways to plan safe skydives when they're jumping by themselves or jumping with their friends, which they'll be doing 99% of the time. They'll be jumping with other people than a mentor. So just kind of helping them. I mean, how many times do you not know what you don't know in skydiving until you hear somebody say, and you're like, well, I didn't even, didn't even consider that. And so hopefully some of those conversations just happen early in their free flying rather than later. Sorry, I was listening to the noise of the fan that just started trying to figure out where it came from. The Red Bull machine so, behind me. So how many, uh, what does a, a normal free fly mentor jump look like? Like how many people are on that jump? Uh, I'm trying to limit it um, to three plus a mentor. Try not to go any bigger than that. But most of the time, I feel like if the flyer is working on basic stability and basic fall rate control that uh, I would prefer they're in a, a one-on-one sort of situation, and which is pretty cool that Spaceland is. Yeah, uh, that's super ideal. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what I would say. If this program is going to happen, it should happen this way. Yes, exactly. But, uh, but it's me, cool for the drop zone to support yeah, that. Yeah, super it, cool for the drop zone. You've got one mentor to one flyer. I mean, that's... Uh, yeah, that's. What I think that that might be a hard sell, which is why I thought that there, there, you might have a different description of what those jumps look like. That just goes to show how cool Spaceland is for you know, promoting that program like that. Yeah, that's a that's a very advantageous ratio for the the new flyer for sure. Getting free one on one coaching. Just last year, I, I mentioned this before. Just last year, with the Belly Mentor Program, we gave away well over eight hundred slots to mentors. Now we are adding the Free Fly Mentor Program to that, and, and just like you're starting, we started with the Belly Mentor Program loosely. Chuck Akers actually, it's a, it's a uh, an idea I presented to Spaceland for a few different years, and Chuck Akers actually was the one who helped start the mentor program. So Valerie and I can't take credit for the foundation. We can take credit for the evolution more than anything else. But when we took over, we had the same problem. We're going to try to have mentors every weekend we can, and now we have mentors on weekdays regularly. Bill Johnson, a retired fella, is out there two, three, four days a week on weekdays mentoring. That's great. And And I see your availability becoming a little bit more accessible. And then uh, Angus, dude, you've met Angus. Yeah, super kind guy. Yeah, have I actually you, uh, spoke with him before you came out here. Have you met Angus yet? No. You, first of all, he's an Aussie, so we're gonna fucking love him no matter what. Say. Yeah, he's a good cunt, bro. He's a he's a mighty fine cunt. Uh, Is he a jump package guy? He's a jump package cool. guy with 350 jumps, and he shot video for me for the AFF courses last week. And first of all, he shot some of the best video I've had in a while. And he started off strong. He didn't need any tips or guy. I never once gave him coaching. Hmm. Usually I have guys with 500 to 1,000 jumps shooting these videos. And then him and I are talking, and we're hanging out, and I showed him the uh, film festival videos. And he's been editing. He's actually going to be one of our competitors this year. So he showed me, like, well, let me show you an edit I did in a day. This guy's going to be one of our competitors. In a day, he put together a pretty dope edit with not some of the best flying. But he's out there sit flying, knee flying on it. He, dude, get to know this fella. Because you might be able to use a weekday mentor out of Angus. And I don't know. I'm, I'm predicting the future, and I hope I'm not setting anybody up for failure. Um, he's a jump package guy, so I don't know if he wants to really get involved. But th- there's there's some weekday potential a year down the road. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I, you know, I just really want, uh, as I work with the other mentors and we kind of roll the program out, that we keep it 
pretty standard across the board and making sure that all the mentors are on the same page of the direction we see the program going and kind of the things they're, they're coaching and the things they're preaching to the young jumpers. Um, you just want to make sure there's not going to be any beef with Angus? <laughs> <laughs> A standardization. <laughs> so, God damn it. I'm sorry. Wah. I totally interrupted you just to make a shitty pun. I'm sorry. First of all, Angus is a super strong name. It's a, a power name for sure. Yeah, Dude, for sure. Angus is the kid well, he who... He graduated from Challenger <laughs> Elementary School. <laughs> <laughs> Angus was also the name of the kid who quit uh, Two and a Half Men with Charlie Sheen. That was his real name. A standardization <laughs> is a huge deal. Nick, in the video department for Spaceland, you've really done a good job of raising the bargain because you've put standardization as a process. This STP program in Spaceland is strong because of standardization. And the USPA's instructor program standardization is becoming more and more important. And, and that's what you're doing with your program. And, and I hate standardization because there's some rules. Yeah. But yeah, it's that's important been to quality. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the legitimacy of the program, you know, going back to how cool it is for Spaceland to give away free slots to Ooh. people to jump with young jumpers. That's pretty cool. So... I want the program to be very legitimate and I want them to be able to look at any of my mentors, whether it's me out there or any of the guys I'm working with and go, you know, that's, that's what we're supporting right there. And that's, you know, that's real, uh, coaching that's going on. And that's, um, that's very helpful to the overall safety of yeah. the drop zone, the overall quality of the drop zone. More people are going to want to sign up for the jump package and more people are going to want to jump here because of the quality here at this drop zone. And that's going to be demonstrable, to Spaceland when they're giving away these free slots. So I want to make sure that the program across the board is uh, everyone's on the same page. I want to hijack and, and turn the conversation for one second because something, Nick, you've heard for many years, and Tex, you've heard as well, something that I hear people complain about at times is how much of a businessman Steve Boyd Sr., the guy who owns and operates Skydive Spaceland, now Steve Boyd Jr., is doing more of the operation, how much of a businessman he can be and how much his decisions are motivated by business. The dude is throwing out $20,000 plus of free slots as a mentor program. We have an air-conditioned packing room. We have a plane that just went down that should take two months to repair, and we're going to have it back up in three weeks. If he wasn't a good businessman, we wouldn't have an air-conditioned packing room. We wouldn't have the mentor program you're fucking leading. We wouldn't have an airplane backup in three weeks instead of two months. So people who complain, and straight up, I love the community and the culture of skydiving, and I don't like the business of it. But if it wasn't for the business, we wouldn't have the badass flyers we have. We wouldn't have the growth we have. So the business part of it is a necessary evil to the growth of what you're creating. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Mr. Boyd's a winner. You know, it's it's super obvious, and yeah. uh, uh, these kind of programs are only going to make Spaceland better. I mean, that's that's what I believe. That's what you've believed, and he's supporting that. And yeah. uh, I think Spaceland's Spaceland's awesome. And um, definitely, when I go to other places, I enjoy myself, but I often find myself, you know, missing some of the things about Spaceland that really, really, really make it tick. Um, you know, the people, of course, but man, we got a good. You know, between <laughs> that plane maintenance type stuff, you know, those situations, but great manifest, you know, awesome facilities. And um, it's really obvious to me that it's a it's a place that if you're serious about learning to jump and and getting good, then, uh, yeah, it's your place. But I've heard some of those criticisms, too, when I go other places, you know, Spaceland's a, too much a business and all that kind of stuff. And it, it's not a party DZ. And yeah, maybe it's <laughs> great. Maybe it's not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So maybe if, you know, if you're there to 
to party and stuff like that, then maybe there are better drop zones. But if you're down to be a really good skydiver and be around safety minded people and be somewhere where big events happen, you know, like and try and, and rock out like fifteen hundred jumps and in a year yeah. for less than ten thousand. You got it. Yeah. Oh, then it's uh, then it's a pretty good place. So yeah, I, I noticed that too when I travel that there are. Uh, just culturally, we've got it pretty good that even young jumpers are pretty safety minded, and it makes me feel good about sharing this guy with those people. Yeah, like someone with you know someone with fifty jumps that's gonna tell someone to put on their seatbelt, or not tell them, but at least remind them or ask them. Yeah, definitely. But uh, I was in San Diego recently, and uh, a drop zone that I visited out there, it was like seatbelts just weren't wasn't even a thing that people were thinking about. Yeah, and it's like man, I have a wow. I have the same thing in a in a in a car. That I do in an airplane where I don't have a seatbelt on and I know that I should. Just a certain level of like real discomfort and anxiety of like, man, I know that you know I haven't had to use a seatbelt many times in my life, but uh, but man, I'd really like it there when I need it. I, I'm curious. It's real the quick. way people fly their canopy. That's what but I. Yeah, know. that's a big thing. Yeah. <laughs> man, <laughs> I mean, we don't have it. Not everybody's perfect around here. Let's be honest. But canopy patterns are. Pretty strictly enforced, so you can almost at any given moment you've probably got an SNTA on the ground watching people fly their canopy. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you go do something stupid and you go do a 180 over the main landing area at 300 feet, like I saw this past weekend and stuff like that, you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna get you're gonna get chewed out like right away. It's not gonna it's d- not gonna go unnoticed. I do want to say fairly, I don't think most people at Space Land get chewed out when they make that mistake. Most you're going to get spoken with. You're going to get, you're, yeah, you'll it, get some correctional and conversation. And usually it's a lot of advice. Now, the third time you do it, you're going to get chewed yeah, out. Yeah. The Fair first enough. time you do it, I've been chewed out before. DQ actually, <laughs> and he's been on the show before, DQ I watched recently approach some people. This week I had approached a lot of our new jumpers, and we just go to them like, hey, you're new here. I know you don't understand these ideas. These are these are some of our policies, and these are the reasons why, and the, and the power of why is a super important part. No doubt. So if you're ever approaching somebody, and, and like when I've got coaching with you in the tunnel, and I've already done that before, you never explained what you wanted me to do without explaining the importance of why. For example, I told you, I've never done a sit flip, sit flip in the tunnel. DJ, this is why we have to do it this way. Um, the power of why is so important. But I want to take a step backwards to that seatbelt question. And, and part of the show is a little bit about education. Tex, I want to ask you, why do we wear seatbelts in an airplane? What's the importance of it? Uh yourself and others that if something was to happen you become a projectile so that's a secondary reason there's a primary reason before that i was going to say uh, aircraft weight and balance if i can go there oh yeah we are car it's cargo holders there you go so if the plane takes off and hits a little bit of turbulence just a little bit and the tail dips a little bit low we all slide to the ass mm. end we all slide to the ass end it crashes a plane the primary reason we wear seatbelts is it's cargo holders. It keeps the center of gravity, center of weight, center of balance on the plane checked. Now, zero doubt, it also c- prevents us from being no projectiles doubt. into each other. Yeah, absolutely. But everybody answers your answer first, and very few people know what Mr. P or Nick said. And, and I just want to share well, that, that idea. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, absolutely. So back to you, Nick. What I was going to say, what you were describing about people flying canopies safer, like just the whole mentality, It's it's... A good safety mentality is awareness of a lot of very small things. And it's like when when the big things go neglected, 
man, the hopes of building all those small things in and having a good culture, it gets a lot more difficult. Exactly. But that's, I think that that's what I like most about Spaceland is you can get into, I mean, it's, it's commonplace that you hear safety-minded conversations coming from people with even pretty low jump numbers that, you know, having fun is always important. That's why we all started skydiving is because it's fun. But doing it safely is what's going to allow everybody to continue to have fun. And I think we have a really good culture there. Yeah, it's what they're hearing from other jumpers. They're just, they're new. So they're repeating stuff that they've almost certainly heard from other people at the drop zone. And so when you go to a DZ and you're not hearing those conversations and you see some of the experienced jumpers kind of, well, this is just how I've always done it. Um, yeah, I mean, you see that culture bleed into the new jumpers and then you're just going to have a perpetual cycle of, you know, uh, this is just, this works out. You know, the sky's big. You know, we can think of it that way. There's a lot of people that think that way. Little people, big sky. Yeah. I mean, and it, it, it does work. Uh, until it doesn't. Until it doesn't, yeah. It does it, it does work a lot of the time. And then the time that it doesn't work, man, yeah. someone, someone's having a very different day very quickly. No doubt. No doubt. The little people, big sky problem or, or statement scares me sometimes because the sky's not nearly as big as we give it credit to be. One of the things that we see in the size of the sky is the sky is infinite in direction and size. But legitimately... Wait, 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 wait. You know the Earth is flat, right? It is flat, <laughs> for sure. Good. So so, it so it's infinite in only two directions, yeah, two yeah. axes. Have you... <laughs> hold on, I'm totally going to hijack this conversation. <laughs> Bring it. Because Bring I it. didn't tell you this. I've done it. So a friend of mine... I t- Maybe Mom. I told you the story. A friend of mine Moms. reached out to me. And said, hey, my mom is talking some crazy shit about the flat earth. Yes. Will you talk to my mom? And I said, hell yes, I will talk to your mom. <laughs> so I spent 90 minutes on the phone with this woman who I had never met before. Don't know anything about her. But she is so convinced that the earth is flat. And she was talking oh about my like God. The, the, the number of things that she had to bring up. Most of them I could shoot holes in pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But... Um, there's a this theory. <laughs> it's ridiculous to even say it. They're ta- they're calling it uh, the glass firmament. Have you heard of this? <laughs> That's a new one for me. Okay, what and I've studied fuck? flat Earth pretty well. <laughs> Look up the firmament. It's a thing okay. where they think that there is glass over the Earth. The dome. Yeah, it's a dome. Yeah. yeah. And there's even th- there was video of a rocket exploding that I found online, and it's like. Is a flat Earth because I looked up some flat Earth videos before I had this conversation because I just wanted to be armed with some content. <laughs> There's like this rocket explodes in the sky, and it's like the 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 caption of the video is like rocket hits glass firmament, proof that the firmament exists, <laughs> and all this shit. I mean, it was a TV series on CBS. So it has to be the true. dome. That's the exactly dome. what you caught when I was quoting. I love that show, dude. Were you, were you going flat Earth while? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and the Earth is flat. Good, good DJ was go. trying to tell me that the uh, <laughs> that the sky was infinite when we when when we look at it, and I wanted to disagree. So <laughs> people talk about big sky and small people. And people talk about how the sky is infinite in so many directions. Or is that what they want you to think, DJ? Shells. They're all shells. So the government. <laughs> it's all the chemtrails. So uh, <laughs> the thing that people don't think about is the sky is not as big as we think it is in skydiving because we're flying in a line. Jump run goes in one direction. It's a line. We're all in that same plane, that same, that same, you know, straight plane. So when we track, when we break off, when we do different things, we're actually, the, the sky's not big. It's very limited when you start thinking about we're traveling a single path. Here's a question I have for you, Jesse, because you actually teach tracking, movement, mm-hmm. stuff like that. If I were to break off and track for five seconds, 
Now, I'm talking about somebody like you, me, or, 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 or Nick, because I would like to think that we're all professionals or experts at this point. Yeah, we can cover a lot of ground. How far can I track in 1,000 feet? I, I'm tracking for 1,000 feet of free fall. How, how much horizontal direction distance will I cover? Take a guess. <laughs> a thousand feet. A thousand feet. A very a, a good skydiver, skydiver at our level. And I've measured this on fly sites on multiple flyers. It's a thousand feet. Three hundred feet. No, it's a thousand feet. A thousand feet. Especially it's if you're Helene. Helene. Holy shit. Helene oh, tracked one point one five ratio. She That's tracked one thousand one hundred and fifty feet in a thousand feet. That's just in a jump. More a horizontal just than a vertical. Suit. That's ridiculous. So a new jumper with a hundred jumps is tracking 500 feet distance horizontally in five seconds. Now, let's talk about break-off for one second. We're taught to break off and track for about five seconds. We're also taught to leave a certain amount of separation in the plane. If we leave the separation by time we're supposed to leave in a plane, we're leaving 1,500 feet of ground separation from each other. Now, you track. Now, people say don't track up jump run. When you're doing six ways, you've got to track up jump run at some point, sure. right? Yeah. So now you track, you track 800 feet up jump run. I track 800 feet down jump run, 1,600 feet. We've eliminated that 1,500-foot mark. Our parachutes open and cover another 300 feet in two seconds easily or more, and I actually forget the number for that. The rest of everything I've said is absolutely I have the numbers from flysite data. The one thing that pisses me off in the plane is when jumpers yell, go, 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 go. The plane, number one, can go around. Number two, if your drop zone doesn't go around, pull higher if you're out later. Rushing new jumpers. I, I don't like seeing new jumpers give too much separation. But what's the opposite? Leaving not enough. And just the other day, I had a group open. I, like, I literally heard a parachute opening when I was under canopy. My canopy's sniveling. I'm listening to a parachute opening. I look over, and it's the group behind me. And the people behind them were yelling, go, 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 go. So they rushed their exit. Yeah, fuck me. <laughs> no, That's thank you. Scary. As much as I've grabbed your nest before, I do not want to fuck you. I would agree that it's definitely preferable to have a <laughs> long spot and a go around, or a long spot and have somebody land off, than to have people get out uh, too close. But your belly but. exits, Justin, that take forty-five seconds to do a <laughs> hey, three-way. Hey, that's not me. <laughs> no, just fucking. <laughs> just but I, I, I have spent enough time in the back of the airplane that, of the and airplane. spent enough time talking with pilots about the same issue that I understand both sides of the of the problem. Sure. Uh, from the pilot's perspective, he doesn't want to have to do a go around because you're drawing away from the efficiency of his job. And if it's a busy Saturday and we've got 150 tandems that we got to get up in the air, he really doesn't have time to do that go around. And if you like don't care about the efficiency of his job, you can make one more fucking jump because he can make two more loads that day. Exactly. But um, and I you know I've been the videographer who like <clears throat> right now we're running an otter on the weekday. And when there's one tandem with video I, kn- I know for sure I'm the last of 23 out of people out of that plane that I'm going to be the furthest away pulling bl- pulling considerably lower than the tandem with a much higher wing loading. So I I know the frustration of, uh, of feeling that that spot's getting long. And I've asked for a go-around before and been denied. I've asked for a go-around and had, had to land in the airplane because of it and then spent the next three hours trying to get this tandem student back on an airplane. And so it's like I, I really don't want to ask for a go around unless I have to and um, I, th- I think that there's definitely a better time to communicate the um, reasoning uh, of having you know efficient exits and what that looks like and the factors that make that uh, different from one day to the next 
I think there's definitely a better time to communicate that thought than yelling go at someone who, who mm-hmm. doesn't understand. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's uh, really helpful when you have a pilot that's on board with, with this. Because, I mean, sure. I'm, I'm not a pilot. I don't know how to fly an airplane. But just culturally, it seems like, uh, just like skydivers love to bitch, most pilots started as skydivers, and they like it too. They like to and, bitch more. And it's <laughs> I love you, JP and Rabbit. To me, it's like um, they they know. I mean, I, I don't remember the last load I was on, especially in, in a full otter load where someone didn't look back, wondering what jump run had, had was going to be. And it's like I get when it's the fifth load of the day. There's a really good chance that someone was on load three, and they're going to say, "Hey, yeah, so last last load jump run was X." But like, especially on the first load, or especially on days where we have crazy upper winds, like we often do in January, I think that the pilots could could do a much better job of communicating that information. Hey, jump run's gonna be here. Yes, this is the jump run speed you're gonna expect. I mean, I I don't think that that's a super long conversation to even like on a weekday in January when we're shutting down between most loads. That can be a conversation that's had between the uh, the pilot and the loader, or the pilot and any experienced staff member who's gonna be out there communicating to people as they show up on that five-minute call, hey, these are the conditions of what we're expecting. This is what happened on the last load. There was a load the other day where jump run started at 75 knots and ended at 120 knots because of the shifting in the upper winds and the direction that the pilot was taking. A couple of days ago, it was the opposite. 115, we started, and we, uh, I told the jumper bef- behind me, we've been going 115, so give us X number of seconds mm-hmm. of separation. And then on jump run, the pilot called back 75. Right. And Willie Cheetah is the fellow's name. I looked back and said, give us more time. I told him exactly what I expected. Mm-hmm. And kudos to that boy. He gave us proper separation. Right. And that's great when someone has the, the all of the information in their head. They've done all the learning to put all of these pieces together and consider all of these variables. But when jump run starts to the north at 115 knots, and then it ends to the west at 75 knots, and there's a group, a four-way that gets out right in the apex of that turn, which direction is jump run? Where am I going to look for canopies opening? And it's like if, if that plan was communicated more thoroughly, then that person could have had that thought and considered that uh, possibility before they were climbing out of the airplane and probably didn't notice that they were 45 degrees off of what they what the last group was. Especially for, for me, leading a lot of angle dives and tracking jumps and stuff like that, if there's an arcing jump run, like, I need to know. Mm-hmm. Like, I, it's, it's pertinent that I need to know. And that's, that's one thing that freaks me out as much as anything is having that jump run in your head and then it's the pilots deciding to arc it for a good reason, you know? Well, yeah, there's certainly a reason. It's make you know, I I know there's a reason behind it, but but everybody gets back. Yeah. That, that that issue right there is definitely super, super important that it's communicated because if I'm moving, you know, we're covering a lot of ground and in, in my mind, I'm covering ground with the idea of where I expect that group behind us to be opening up and when those jump runs start to arc like that it is uh it's it can be i want to kind of sketchy i want to throw down a challenge to this group and i say this group i'm talking about the four of us and then let's challenge our our friends and the reason i'm challenging the four of the guys in this room is i have four leaders from our drop zone in this room We, we i couldn't anybody disagree we all have a position of leadership somewhere Assistant leader of the uh, mentor program, leads the video department, leads the video, the free fly mentor program, and me, well, I'm the idiot who gets to talk to whoever. Um, one thing that Spaceland does well is we provide a flight plan for the day on our safety board. 
The thing I've noticed lately is we've not always had jump run speed up there because we don't always know it. I want to challenge us to help our teams, our mentor teams, our video teams, our instructor teams. I'm pointing at me right now. Our, our belly mentor teams to look at that plan and when we can help update and make sure that plan on the board is proper and known to show a curve jump run, to show the speed of jump run. Let's help the pilots update. They, they don't update it during the day because they're in the plane all day right. long. So my challenge to all four of us is to A, make sure that happens, and B, by having our teammates help us delegate. We're not going to do it. We're going to make other people do it because we're lazy. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's a great idea. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're a team, man. It, t- it takes us to help the pilot and the pilot to help us. And 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 Steph, the other day, man, we had the, the first load of the day. You shot video on the first load of the day the other day, and our first pass was a little bit off because of the way the winds were working off. And while canopies are landing, while canopies are in the sky, Steph, our loader, immediately gets on the radio. Stephen Boyd and I are, are in the office, and we just hear Steph on the radio explain the necessary correction. And it sounded like a great idea. And then st- I walked outside and I saw why people were landing off. And if it wasn't for Steph, I, w- I absolutely would have landed off on that load without that off. adjustment. Yeah, those tandems would have landed off. And and the point of that statement is, is it's the team. It takes a village to make this drop zone safer. So let, let's. I hope you guys and I say you guys, the the, the four of us I'm talking it's to y'all. Y'all. And, and dude, I, I started in Virginia, Tennessee, and Alabama. Y'all's been part of my life. So y'all need to take care of this. And I'm, when I say y'all, y'all at the drop zone, y'all at any drop zone you jump at, you live at, you work at, start spreading this information. Find a way. And if your drop zone doesn't have a way to communicate this information, email Monty at gravitylabradio.com. And Nick Lott will soon have that password. I already have that password. And we'll start answering those questions. We'll help you figure out, and we'll spread. Spaceland won't hide the secrets of how we do this. We'll share with you how we do these, this, convey this information. But to get back to that uh, conversation, I agree with you that it's not super productive to have someone from the back of the airplane shouting get out to someone who doesn't know yeah. what uh, what separation looks like. But one thing that I, I share some of the pilots' uh, frustration about this because uh, it's oftentimes that... We're going pretty fast. We've got a 110-knot jump run, and um, the okay. So how how fast is how fast is uh, ground speed? That's 110. We're 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 really moving. We need five or six seconds, and then climb out begins at six. seconds. Climb out begins six seconds later and takes 12 seconds. Yeah, and it's like man, we have just eaten up Mm -hmm. so much jump run, and now now I'm where I'm usually sitting in the back of the airplane, opening low, especially when a tandem instructor who's trying to let their student have every opportunity to pull the parachute and they're sucking me down to five grand and now I'm pulling at 3,500 feet and I'm two miles away from the drop zone. I hate that feeling. I really do. So I understand the the frustration. Those five five groups in front of you just turned into the equivalent of 10. Exactly. Let me qualify what I said real quick. Just one second. If you're going to yell, get out, you have to yell it. Get out. Get out. Get out. That's that's definitely acceptable. The thing I will qualify, and Nick, I think you make a super valid statement here 
is the thing I will notice and the thing I will say, and I want both you guys to comment on it because A, as a videographer, Nick, you see everybody exit. And Jesse is, is, is sorry, I keep calling you that text. Mm. As a free flyer, you see. How a, dare you call him his yeah. name? You either see, either <laughs> one, Jesus. man. I'm good. You, you, I, I take offense to my name. You see I at least half not. the plane <laughs> exits. Free flyers, you see at least half the plane exit. So the thing I, I should have qualified is, is as the biggest mistake I see is new jumpers rush it. And commonly it's because they have such small groups, it's easy for them to rush a setup and leave. Definitely. And then I agree wholeheartedly with you, Nick. Experienced jumpers, and you just said it, Jesse, They five seconds between groups. At five seconds, they start setting up a group that takes five seconds to set up and then three seconds to uh, exit. Happened to me last weekend. Yeah, yeah. So they're it, doing like a tube jump type thing. And yeah, they're doing yeah. their setup. Ten seconds into it, their first people are climbing out, and they're playing around in the door as if it's the mock-up, and we're uh, <laughs> we're on a hundred and twenty uh, <laughs> jump run. You know, it's uh, this is this is getting long quick. I, I definitely think that if you have the knowledge th that makes you think you need to know ground speed, if you have that in your brain that you need to know that information, then at that time you should also have the equivalent skill to apply that information and get out on time. If you're if you're going to ask for that number and not follow what that number tells <laughs> yeah, you, right. then shut the fuck up and don't ask for that number. <laughs> and have someone who knows better than you tell you when to get out of the airplane. And but if you're a newer jumper uh, doing the jump exit count, don't be scared of asking someone who's exiting after you. Please ask. To, hey, let me know what the separation should be. And they can sit there and watch you and give you advice... And, and, and just a caveat to that, like when support, when when someone says the let's just say for our new jumper who who doesn't really know uh, how long they're going to give or, or or any of that. And and we're going to tell them, uh, yeah, the, the ground speeds this give give six seconds because you're a solo, what, whatever it is that ends up being that six seconds. You Especially when you're on a solo, you can still use your eyeballs to get a visual cue of what six seconds and achieving proper separation looks yes, like sir. don't waste that time doing nothing sure. because mm -hmm. every, especially when you travel not every place you go to is going to be familiar with giving jump run you're not going to have a safety minded group everywhere so just because someone says six seconds doesn't mean you need to close your eyes and look at nothing <laughs> for six seconds you can also be sharpening the tool of uh, developing what visual separation looks like for the times that the pilots on the radio with air traffic control there's another there's a jet coming in right behind us they don't have the ability to actually communicate that information with with the jumpers then now you've you have in your brain oh well I I at least know what proper separation looks like so I'm gonna wait till it looks good and then I'm gonna get out yeah, exactly as you get more knowledgeable that that visual is gonna be so much more familiar yes that if you've got those numbers in your head and you know what it it's supposed to look like use your eyes and if it's supposed to look like a five second separation and you use your eyes and it doesn't look like that's that's right then uh, then you you change it accordingly if they're not gone in five seconds. Just wait longer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I want to go back to from something. the last exit. The grub worm, and that's when we'll start calling you from now. The grub worm. Something the grub. Never worm, heard that before. Yeah, you have not. But that's, that's <laughs> your name. the grub worm said something that I really appreciate and I really want to emphasize is you actually said don't be afraid to ask the group behind you what kind of separation you're going to give, and I want to emphasize what he said. And here's what I want to emphasize. So often I see jumpers turn around to the guy behind him and say, "Yo, Tex, give us six seconds." I don't disagree that's not a bad idea, but here's what I prefer. Hey, Tex, what are you going to give us? And as new jumpers, if we ask you what you're going to give us, don't look at me and say, what do you want? Tell me a number. And if you're right, <laughs> you're right. right. Whisper it to me. And if you're wrong, <laughs> I'm going to tell you what you should give me. And the reason I believe this should work 
is you can teach a man to fish or you can give him fish. If I ask you what you should give me for separation, you're thinking about it. And whether you're right or wrong, you're learning to process. If we give you a fucking number, you're not learning to process. We're giving it to you, and you will not be able to survive on your fucking own. You're just going to ask it every time without knowing why. Like, why did I have to give that eight-way ten seconds when I gave the three-way four seconds? Why is that important, big size versus small size? Hey, size doesn't matter. Size with matters. everything. <laughs> Come on. So you you said three way versus eight way, Je- Je- Justin. I called him Jesse now. <laughs> so why does that matter? Uh, it matters because with a bigger formation, uh, your radial could end up being on jump run, very close to jump run. Especially bigger and bigger formation you get, you're gonna have multiple people tracking that those directions. There's going to be tighter radials on break-off. Think of a radial, by the way, as a spoke. A spoke on bicycle wheels. Exactly. So the more spokes, the closer they are together. Let's get off that topic. I want to give it back to you. But before I give it back to you, Nick, I I, got to ask one question that's been weighing on my mind. And I want to go back to your competition, Jesse. In the competitive world, you've competed in, in, in Australian rules football. You've competed in the tunnel world. And the thing that I want to know is I've competed in canopy piloting. And I played basketball and football in high school and actually competed in state tournaments in, in football in high school. Somebody had to ride the pine. It was me. Um, <laughs> so when, when you're in competition, that mindset gets pretty intimidating, pretty fierce. And the average person listening to this podcast, as a matter of fact, the average jumper will never compete. But the intimidation of fear always affects us. And at the highest level, I think competition is one of them. How do, how do you deal with this pressure? Um. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've been dealing with that, I guess, you know, that sort of anxiety you get before sports and stuff like that my entire life, whether it was in soccer and then Aussie rules and stuff like that. But for your average jumper, you know, like, well, even for myself, if you put that sort of pressure on you in a make-believe kind of way every jump to perform well, um, you start to get used to that pressure a little bit more. So definitely when I was training and even when I'm just doing a fun jump and stuff like that, even if it's a mentor jump, and, you know, I'm doing a head-up exit. Well, I'm putting pressure on myself to make it the best head-up exit I've ever done. You know, every single jump. So you can approach uh, that anxiety you feel as a new jumper um, by treating it as such. You know, focus on that jump every single time and put that pressure on yourself to perform well. Um, but, yeah, like at the on the world stage for the world championships, it was pretty, it was pretty interesting to see how different athletes, you know, handled the intensity. Um, some of them were super jacked up and, um, you know, bouncing around and moving around the entire time. Some guys were like almost meditative, you know, just kind of staring into space and, uh, getting in the zone that way. And then other guys were just like really relaxed and talking with the other competitors and goofing around and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, it, it, there's a wide spectrum of how people handle those sort of intense situations, but, um, Yeah. I think for new jumpers, you know, whether it's competition or not, just put pressure on yourself, you know, to do one or two things really well that jump that you know you are attainable for you. Since we're talking uh, about the tunnel a little bit, I uh, saw on Facebook that you and Mr. Ryan Risberg have a tunnel camp coming up pretty soon in a ex- not exotic location, exciting location. It's exotic to me. <laughs> I'm about as cultured as a grilled cheese sandwich. Louisiana's <laughs> exotic to you. <laughs> there you go. 
Got some fine ass cheese in that grilled cheese sandwich. That's right. So where are you guys going? Uh, we're doing in ten days. We're leaving for um, Amsterdam for City Skydive, which is the name of a tunnel. And it's uh, they it's have got, two tunnels. It's got correct? two tunnels in the same building. It's gonna be pretty cool. The uh, the company that designs the software that we use for tandem video editing uh, also works with City Skydive. I think they've designed uh, some of their manifest software and some of the some of the video stuff. Sweet. So uh, I've seen the software that they use to to drive the the tunnels there. Mm-hmm. It seems pretty awesome. Cool. But it looks like a really really nice facility. Yeah, it looks like a nice facility. Uh, the people that work there that have helped kind of set the camp up seem really really nice. So. Um, yeah, it's going to be a great trip, and obviously we'll have during the day to kind of check out Amsterdam and stuff like that, and then be I mean, doing a lot of flying at night. Other than uh, the obvious appeals of Amsterdam. I don't what, know what you're talking about. Was there another draw that... I know not of what you speak. <laughs> Risberg's been over there a few times, and uh, you know has got to fly with the... So he's flown at this tunnel before? Yes, he's flown at this tunnel. Knows a lot of people over there now, so um, it was a pretty um, convenient camp to set up. And uh, somewhere that he knows a lot of the people that we'll be flying with or, you know, our ability to kind of make the camp whatever size we need to make it uh, profitable for ourselves. So, yeah, it made sense. Um, So we're going to do that. And then we're going to fly to uh, Warsaw, Poland, and then do a a week of tunnel coaching at Flyspot, which I'm super, super excited about. That's been the tunnel that I've wanted to fly for quite a while. You know that's that's where some of the, some the, of the top sh- flyers, yeah, yeah, end. and some of the yeah. people that I just those are my those are the people that I want to fly like um, that I study their videos and I study their approach to flying and their philosophy and all that's yeah, like those they typically come out of fly spot in Poland. So how do you think the European flying philosophy differs from American flying philosophy? Uh, you know I don't even know if there's an American philosophy if you'll put it that way it, it, other than it's just imitation yeah I, well there's definitely that i mean you know i'm living proof of that i'm more or less imitating guys that i've seen fly in in videos a lot of them um but uh i think the american approach if you will has been the more rigid static progression you know of you'd learn this way and then you learn this and then you learn this and you know the, the typical belly, back, sit, head down, that sort of progression, which is used all over the world too. Um, And that works for especially people that are interested in applying it to skydiving right away. But uh, the Europeans uh, have a lot of tunnel-only flyers or primarily tunnel flyers. And so they've, they've had a different approach to it. And they've just kind of been the first to approach it that way. I feel like it, to me, it seems a lot more broken down, analytical, like a lot more of an engineering mindset when it comes to the flying of like, this does this because of this. Sure. A yeah. lot less of a, this feels right. And a lot more it's of definitely like, getting to that point where, yeah, the top science, fly, the top flyers <laughs> in the world can explain to you exactly what they're doing, you know, in this particular moment of a carve, you know, and it, it really does boil down if you think about it to physics, right? So if you can really understand how to move your body the most efficiently it's just physics and then it's just getting yourself into that body position <laughs> Sorry. anyone who's just listening dj just yanked his uh, microphone stand out from the table it was sitting on and I now he's this, awkwardly holding it up i call this <laughs> like move it didn't happen the nick lot that is a, hey have you noticed me pull that thing out of here once tonight no and have I you did, ever I, seen me pull it out i said <laughs> hey my point. pullout game's on point <laughs> 
But I, I, I don't pull out because you always there, should. There's a reason. There's a reason that I sat in this chair early tonight. I did some dirt diving with how to not yank this thing out of its fucking stand. I wish y'all told me. I would have been walking around the room this entire time. <laughs> I, I have a brilliant plan to make these not come like out. Like a Bruce Springsteen concert. I'm just walking yeah, around. I'm just, <laughs> just walking around. I don't like this. <laughs> you just have to use two hands at the same time. Oh, God. <laughs> two hands and a mouth. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you imagine you're going to do more of these traveling camps? Yeah, I think that's the plan. Um, and do really, in an ideal world, I think what I see uh, hopefully over the next year or two and, and probably uh, quite a bit with Risberg is you know combining these tunnel camps with, uh, with sky camps too. Because I definitely like... Uh, uh, in terms of coaching and stuff like that, I, I really like uh, skill camp kind of environments. Um, probably, yeah, d- most definitely more so than general load organizing at boogies and stuff like that, which is definitely fun and, and rewarding. But um, I, I, I like I like the skill camp environment. So. I bet you get to see a lot more progress from the people you work with at a, at a specific skills camp. Sure, at boogie. yeah, and I, I like coaching, you know, and and with general load organizing, you're there to jump with people and uh, and have fun and bring people together that are at this event and make it as safe as possible and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I really enjoy the, uh, the skill camp environment a lot more. So, uh, it would be cool to take these tunnel camps and then take those people that you flew with in the tunnel over the past couple of days or so, or more, and then take it to the sky. And especially with Risberg and other coaches and stuff like that, if you can team up with them, you can have different, skill levels for different groups and uh, a focus on different disciplines for different days and you can get pretty creative with it. So what's the what's the cost like for someone to participate in one of these camps? Like Flyspot, is it a less or more expensive tunnel? Uh, Flyspot's uh, definitely cheaper. Definitely a lot cheaper. And then they had a package that was going at the beginning of the year for sale. I think I saw this advertised, like an all-inclusive. Yeah, it was about 5500 US dollars for 10 hours. Um, of tunnel time that doesn't include the coaching, but still that's very cheap. And then it also included reimbursement for your flights. So up to a thousand dollars reimbursement, three free meals a day and free accommodation at the tunnel during those days. So that's a pretty incredible deal. smoking deal. Yeah. yeah. Really. That's like breaks down to 10 hours. $5,500 for that whole thing. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Like just the tunnel time's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Five five fifty an hour. Plus right. everything for even the- even adding the tunnel coaching onto it, you're still paying yeah an obscenely low amount, and then you're getting the food already taken care of, travel someplace. Yep, your flights. Hi, I mean- Steve Senior. <laughs> what? Hi, Steve Senior. You're gonna send him out that way? No, Steve Senior's listening right now, and I know how that makes oh, you feel. God, <laughs> it makes Nick nervous. <laughs> hey, Senior. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, we didn't say anything inappropriate. Oh, actually, I think Steve Senior's favorite parts is inappropriate. When okay, we get good. serious, right. he thinks we're a bunch of boring jackasses. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've uh, we've kind of talked about skydiving a lot. Is there any other uh, parts of your life you like to talk about that's not skydiving? Do you do anything that's not skydiving or tunnel flying related? Uh, these days, it's been it's been tough. You know, I used to play a lot of footy. But uh, I, I haven't had time for it too much. But I really like hanging out with Soraya. We go out to the country where she lives all the time. And um, that's kind of how I get away from everything. Yeah, I mean, the, the pictures you post from out there, 
it's hard for me to but like I, just living in Houston and having this perspective of what Texas looks like. Yeah, I really love whole, it. Whole I love place. the hill country. Do you guys have a place out there? Or does she have a place? She out has there? a place. Yeah. Is it her family? Is it her? I mean, what's going it's on? Her, it's her. It's her. She's got a home out there. How and, big is it? Uh, it's not a big. It's not a big place. Big um, enough that we can have a little get together. Oh, for sure. And they, you know, her her family owns a uh, a cabin out on the river out there, and I'm I'm sure we could all go out there sometime. Let's have a party, bro. Yeah. Yeah, in a van down by the river. Yeah. Hey, I've got a van. Dude, your van is... <laughs> I, I, fuck your van. Your van. Last time you were here, you had just got a van from Ken Stone, and yeah. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, and snap. now I see it at the DZ. Dope van, bro. It, it is, um, but it needs, it needs some work right now, so... If anybody out there wants to help me with it, let me know because I, I just put a new battery in it and I'm having like uh, electrical problems. Like the voltage is is way low, so I'm not sure what's going on. I thought it was just a a bad battery and I switched it out and I'm having all sorts any of car with experts it. out there who want to help out the our boy Tex. I would be willing to guess that of course they'd have to pay for their own tunnel time, but you would exchange <laughs> coaching. For mechanic work. Yeah, no doubt. I may or may not be an electrical engineer. Yeah, there you go. I think it's electrical. I and also, Kurt is. Edgerton, by the way, uh, he converted his own van. He uh, works for, I believe it's GM, mm-hmm. uh, working on their hybrid electric vehicles. He knows so much about right on. Uh, electrical right systems. On. Yeah, in vehicles particularly, big DC components, way different than the three-phase power that I deal with. That's cool. That's really cool. So I'm going to let you wrap this up in a second, but before you wrap it up, I want to... You're going to let me be in charge when you let me be in charge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just want to mention a couple things, and just because it's things you don't know. One of the things that I just saw is we have a, a new fan, a guy named Ernie Harris, who just happened to run across the podcast or th- this episode, and he doesn't know any of us. And, and any of you who are listening to this who don't know anything about us, number one, please, please, please share this video on your Facebook page. But the thing that I would love for you guys to also understand is this is a podcast. This Facebook video that you're watching right now is purely just kind of a bonus for us. This is not our true value. We get about eight times the downloads we do the live view. So th- this is really an audio download. If you're a fan of the show. And but you're, if you're missing out, not looking at me. Oh, dude. The, you no, should definitely <laughs> download the video. That's a good looking hat. So, but get, Too bad about your face. Get on, a, <laughs> get on a podcast app and download and search for Gravity Lab Radio. Even if you just listen or watch the show live, please download it because it's really going to help us. Go on iTunes and leave a review for us. All these things are a, a super huge help for our growth. And the biggest reason I want to grow, and I think, Nick, we've talked about this, the biggest reason we want to grow is the bigger we grow, the easier it is to get other guests on the show. We've had some super awesome guests, and Jesse, I'd really like to include you along. You've made me laugh more than anybody with, hey, Bill, Bill, we got one. (laughs) Yeah, if you're you're in the mood for some belly laughs, find Texas first episode. It got pretty ridiculous. Oh, my God, that was hilarious. (laughs) So you guys can search Gravity Lab Radio, download it as a podcast, listen to it at your convenience, because there's no way I could dedicate straight two hours to this show if I was listening as a fan. By the um, way, Texas' first episode was number 24. Also, leave a mm. review on on our uh, on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you download it. If you don't have a podcast app, go to gravitylabradio.com on your device, and it will immediately have a floating link that will take you to a place to download it for your device. So whatever device you're on, it's going to be very specific. So what and was I- it exactly that made Ben Nelson your all's worst guest? 
Well, I think it's just really ben easy Nelson. to pick on Ben. <laughs> like I, I, I don't know that it's like that he also enjoys it a little bit, or that it's just so easy because he's such a pile of shit. Awesome person. <laughs> I didn't say that. I go there. No, I, like I, I really do love Ben, and we're all I'm good enough friends around. that it's super Phenomenal. easy to, to shit on him. Yeah, yeah. but um. So I'll actually—he's never coming back here. I, if, <laughs> if he shows up again, I think I'm just going to quit. So I, I hope that's not true because <laughs> the things that are coming up here in the future is next week we have Rob Parker uh, coming in. Rob Parker works at Skydive Spaceland, and the big re- biggest reason I'm having him in is he's worked in New Zealand, he's worked in Greece, he's worked in Spain, he's been all over the world skydiving. And a, what's the culture like in these different countries? B, what's the learning progression like in these different countries? For example, if we were jumping in France right now, Justin Grubbs, how many skydives do you have? Be wearing berets. 600. 600 skydives. Uh, So if I had 600 skydives in France, I wouldn't be jumping smaller than I – I don't know if it's a 210 or a 230. I wouldn't be allowed to jump smaller than that. 190. That's what mm. I have. Uh, one eye is what you have. <laughs> and you are excessively small for the French regulation. I mean, where are they building that rule around? Is it a wing loading? Is it a... It's I feel like I'm, I'm pretty big compared so to Frenchmen, though. Actually, in <laughs> France, they have posted on their USPA version or their NAC, their National Aero Club, the FFP. They actually have a chart posted on what wing loading you can be at based off what exit weight. And it is... Uh, oh, and that doesn't change with experience? Um, so the more experience you have... The, the higher wing loading you can have. But uh, with a 1,000 jumps, Blair Smith, and, and I know this for a fact because I've actually done the math today or I've seen the math today. Blair Smith, with a 1,000 jumps, couldn't be smaller than a 120, 135. With 1,059 jumps, when Blair had 1,059 jumps, he couldn't be on smaller than a, I can't remember if it was a 120 or 135. I'm positive it was 135. KDP had 999 jumps when these facts were put together. Brian Vasher from Flight 1 actually collected some data, and I got to look at it today. Um, the, the French process is, is very strict, so Rob is going to bring to us a unique view of what the world sees skydiving. Wind limits. Did you know the U.S. is one of only two nations, and there might be more, but that I know of only one of two nations that has an unlimited wind limit for experienced jumpers? Most nations' wind limits are lower, or excuse me, many nations' wind limits are the same wind limits we have for students at Spaceland. That's insane. That is. I mean, I, I would probably attribute that to I mean, maybe they're in other countries. Or you think they're jumping older gear that makes well, jumping higher freedom. winds? Oh, yeah, obviously. Yeah. That goes without yeah. saying. America. I mean, So one of the things is in America, USPA is a voluntary organization. In other countries, it's mandatory that they join a national aero club. And when it becomes mandatory, you can enforce rules all you want. If USPA enforces strict rules at USPA, and I, and I know for a fact USPA would like to have higher standards. But if USPA had higher standards, then the voluntary part, we wouldn't be voluntary members. And if we wouldn't be voluntary members, then USPA wouldn't exist. So to justify their own existence, they have to make compromises within their choices. And I say I know that as a fact. I don't know that as a fact, but I work extremely uh, at a high level with USPA where I work with them regularly, including I was on the board of directors. So I feel pretty confident in that that statement. But you're telling me that there are countries that in 16-mile-an-hour winds, they shut down for the day. Remember, Spaceland student wind limits are 22 miles an hour. 22, okay. So so 
you you've we got, have a waiver. Yeah, okay. Yeah. We have a waiver. But still, still 22 miles an hour, like a steady 22. Mm-hmm. All day, baby. Yeah. All day. Mm-hmm. So there, there are countries that have extremely low wind limits, and I actually have a chart of all that, and I'll share that one day here in the, in the very near future of what those wind limits are. Um, Rob is going to really get to share that experience. The following week after that, we're on vacation. Actually, February 9th is an anniversary. You don't know what it is, so I want you to guess what it is. February, an anniversary? Yes. What, of the podcast? Exactly. Shit, that was fast. February 9th, for man, the first time. It. Well, you just told me it was. I was 24 last time, so I just did the math. Nick Law and I actually sat down for the first time in front of a cell phone in this room and recorded our first podcast. So for our anniversary, Nick and I are going to go out and have a little bit of an anniversary date. Are but we going to kiss at the end? We're going to kiss tongue. The, the, <laughs> the week after that, though, we're going to get... I look at it. You just... <laughs> Can you just join me in enjoying how unhappy it makes him to say shit like that? Do you know the last time I got really gay with Tex? What? So Tex was setting up... <laughs> what? Well, we well, said we were going to talk about what, it. Was it a five-way? I'm like preoccupied doing other things you, over you, here, and you, I just hear, you know the last time I got really you, gay with Tex? You know what I'm talking about, Jesse. Mm-hmm. Was it a five-way, six-way, somewhere around there? Oh, man, the context you're putting this in is weird. <laughs> was it a five-way free flight exit? It was something. Yeah, I think I was doing an angle camp at, yeah. at Space Land. And he set up in the door with his group about ready to exit and give the count. Like, you know, he's about to look at it. I don't think like, I was mid-count. Are we good? And I reached up and cupped this ball We were the group behind We him. were on an AFF did, did you evaluation you jump. Yeah. Yes. We were doing a cat C, uh, Zach and I. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, gra- and I, I yeah. didn't grab, I cupped. You were not. It was like on set. It was like ready. Set. And then I just like stopped what I was doing with the group. Like I'm pushing it out the door. And DJ's and pointing looking, and laughing. And I'm like, I'm so fucking focused on what I'm doing right now. Like, what the and hell wait, is going on? Had, was he sniffing his hand afterwards? <laughs> yes. Yes, excessively. I had the most serious guy Like in front during of me free fall. And most of the serious two guys on the side of me. And what am I doing? Cup and text yeah. balls. <laughs> so I'm going. I'm I think that was our last this thing email out job of too. the plane, and I'm looking over my shoulder at DJ, just making eye contact with me, <laughs> just, <laughs> this big grin on his face. And then like, you notice your pants getting just a little bit tighter. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, you I just forgot. pitched out the door. <laughs> I think you forgot to close your visor on that exit. So. Yeah, uh, you did. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, because yeah. I yeah. always, especially if I'm giving a big count like that, I want everybody to hear it. So I'll put the visor down like <laughs> on set. And I think on set, I just my hand just spun around like, what the fuck <laughs> that's is going on right there. Me? And I'm, yeah. I'm just exiting with my but visor you, open, just did looking. Did you still back leave at, on time with your camera? yes? Uh, yeah, yeah yes. Sure. that's good. Yeah, for no, sure. No, you I'd expect nothing less. Yeah, I think I, I yeah I leaped out the door. In fact, yeah. <laughs> the last fucking eval jump of the course, and that this motherfucker does that. <laughs> you leapt from the plane. Yeah. Would you say you were jumping for joy? Because <laughs> you were so happy. Were you? Would you say that was a hard exit? <laughs> oh, so the week after our anniversary, and what we're nailing down the date right now is February, I believe February 13th, so we'll take a week off, we'll have a podcast back again, and that podcast is going to be Mr. P, myself, Mr. Grubbs, and we're really trying to get Ben Nelson back in it, <sighs> and it's our anniversary celebration. So we, we have that coming up after that, and then uh, shortly after that, Skunk 8 Base. Do you know who Skunk 8 Ape Skunk? <laughs> I can't even say the fucking pull words cords ever. up. <laughs> no. <laughs> Do you know who that is? I know who pullupcords.com <laughs> Studios is. Yeah, I know who that is. But yeah, but can you spell it? Jeff Witt <laughs> is Skunk Ape Base. Skunk Ape Base is a base manufacturer. He builds base containers. And Jeff Witt, you know Jeff? 
from Spaceland. Do I? His girlfriend is Oh, Adri- Jeff, our instructor Jeff. Yes, Yes, exactly. I love Jeff. So Jeff has actually agreed to come on the show, and we're going to really focus on the base jumping community. Now, I say focus. Have we ever stayed on track on these shows? Hey, Bill! Bill, we're going <laughs> <laughs> You guys have got to listen to episode 24 for oh that story. Oh, my God, that was hilarious. One of the best stories ever. Uh, he'll be joining us. So we, we have a really good schedule coming up. Uh, please join us. Please share these videos. Please download the podcast and, and leave reviews. Help us grow. The more we grow, we could actually get legit guests and, and better guests. Excuse I say me? better guests <laughs> because we've had Jay Vienendahl and Ben Nelson on the show previously. Hey, every once in a while, you got to lower your standards. You know, <laughs> have that good slump buster that gets you back on track. Having Ben Nelson makes having these other guys look good. There you go. <laughs> So I'll let you guys take over. No, it is super easy to listen to what he's saying and not do any of that shit, but it really makes a big difference for the podcast if you can take two minutes, download it, share it, do anything that's going to uh, help us reach a few more people. Sonic from the Ranch, I can get on the show if you guys do what I ask you to do. Luke Akins, I think I can get on the show. The guy who landed in a... Holy snap. Without a parachute on a net, I think I can get it on the show if you guys do what I ask you to do. I can get some of these most badass fucking flyers who've done the... Luke Akins was the skydiving expert for the Stratos Project, the guy who jumped from outer space. We can get these guys on the show, and we're already communicating with them. But you guys as listeners doing what I just asked you to do is what's going to be the breaking point for us to get this to happen. So help us out. And and help us out, no, help yourselves, because this is about... When we started, Nick, you and I only cared about one thing, you and I having fun. That's really still all that I care about. (laughs) But I... Have gotten uh, a lot of personal entertainment and uh, growth from this podcast, and so I know what you care about, and I can see the big picture goals for the podcast. That yeah, I care about it more vicariously through you, but uh, yeah, I can care about it. My biggest care is not building an audience and not building a brand. My biggest care is to supply information and entertainment. Don't get me fucking wrong. We are a bunch of fucking assholes with microphones. It is to provide those to, to the fans. So people seem to like this more than I ever thought and more than you ever thought that they would. So so please do this. As we close out, Jesse, what do you have to share with the world about Waffle House, Tex Leos, God, can we please Buckies. go to Waffle House? And yeah. that beer. Uh, all I want to know is if we're going to Waffle House after this. All right, this. time out. All in favor of going to Waffle House after yeah. we close this out. I can't go. I can't either. <laughs> well, see you but there. I have a shindig. But let's go like fucking Monday. All right. I have a karaoke warm-up session after this. Oh, yeah? So Voice lessons? Monday yeah. <laughs> night? Monday evening? Monday well, day? Well, we were supposed to have, uh, you know, a year ago we had the McDonald's double McBirthday party. Oh, yeah. Yes. Which was epic. <laughs> and we saw Carlos cry. Yeah. And so we were going to do McDonald's again, but I don't think that's going to happen. So that was going to be planned on Monday the 29th. So I am happy to do some ridiculous shit Monday the 20th. Yeah. And if that involves eating a huge mess of garbage from a Waffle double House. double all-star like and we killed last time in Atlanta. Fuck, dude, yeah. Holy shit, I don't think I've ever had a, a double all-star. Double all-star. A couple that, miles that epic. Yeah. Double all-star. Yeah, you just double up on everything. Oh, God, dude, I want that so badly yeah. right now. Jesus. There is a Waffle House a couple miles east of us on 518. I don't know if you realize that. So there's one right here, or oh, if there's I one know. near your. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people are triangulating your house miles. between Challenger <laughs> Elementary and yeah. Waffle House right you, now. You know what Gator <laughs> is, right? Jesse has Waffle House Gator. He can just <laughs> sense it. Waffle Dar. He just smelled it. He he's like he put his nose up in the air and like 2.3 miles to the due east. <laughs>
Uh, anything else to add there, Mr. Tex? No. Come come fly with me. Everybody's listening. I'd love to fly with you in the tunnel or the sky. You really are one of my most favorite people to fly with. And you're just a good guy in general. Cheers. I'm a good buddy. Thanks, brother. Justin, anything to add before we uh, sign this bitch out? Nothing else. You better start that outro mm-hmm. music before it gets really awkward. <laughs> oh, it's getting so awkward. Let's just wait. Ah, there we go. I am Mr. P, your usual guest, DJ Marvin. Our guest, or host, excuse me. Our guest tonight, Jesse Leos, Justin Grubbs. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs>